Welcome to the OC Endurance Podcast. My name is Chris, along with my co-hosts, Austin and Tony. And we are back for another week. And this week we have a guest, which is exciting. But uh, what have you guys been up to for the last week? Freezing. It's cold out here, man. What's going on? It was below 50 today. <laughs> These Southern, Southern California winters are rough. Dude, 42 this morning? What is going on? Man, I went to the pool yesterday and I'm always unhappy when I show up to the pool and there's a little breeze because you don't see the steam coming off the pool here in you know California. All our pools are primarily outdoors. So if there's no steam, that means it's uh, either breezy or the pool heater's not working and it's always a gamble. So it was that little breeze yesterday. I was freezing my butt off. Yeah, man. I, I don't, I, once it gets below 50, it's sweats, sweatshirt all the time. You know, I got to wait until it warms up to get outside. It's, it's brutal out here. Yeah. yeah. And then we had some winds this weekend, a little seven mile per hour winds. It was like, nope, yeah. on the trainer. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it locked in. I'm a fair weather athlete. <laughs> That's right. Well, cool. Well, any, what do we got coming up? Any, any races coming up? You guys, I'm done for the year, but I know you probably, Austin, Tony, got two or three more. I mean, there's only a couple more weekends, but you've got to be able to work in two or three more marathons before the end of the year. <laughs> Yeah, I've got nothing before the end of the year. I mean, we yeah. start off hot in January, but nice. nothing for the end of the year. Right. Yeah, me neither. So. Well, I, I head back east uh, Thursday, so I will be in the snow trying to snowshoeing train for my marathon. All snowshoe training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, hopefully, there's Killian, enough uh, snow. That's yeah. the worst Killian when there's training. a little bit of snow. So it sucks for running, but it's not good enough for snowshoeing or uh, cross country skiing. So it's just kind of crap. And yeah, you might as well stay inside. But if there's a decent amount of snow, then then yeah, get on the snowshoes and do some stuff like that. But I think primarily I'm going to be on the treadmill. <laughs> All right. Well, I will. I'm going to hand it over to you, Austin. Let you introduce our guest. Uh, you you've been in contact with him, and uh, so I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, uh, just another social media friend and. It's one of the great parts of social media is you see someone's content and you reach out and say, hey, this or that or agree or disagree. And, you know, sometimes people respond, sometimes people don't. And uh, fortunately for us, our, our guest this week, JT Rogers, uh, you guys may have seen him all over social media, specifically Instagram, based on NCAA triathlon and his handle is Wave One Performance. So I'm sure you guys have seen some of his content. So... Yeah. Uh, thank you to social media for getting us a connection and getting him on. Uh, we had never met face to face or anything. So it's a beautiful thing. So thank you for coming on JT. Yeah. Thanks Austin. Appreciate it. Yeah. So, I mean, we're just going to kind of, again, real free flowing, talk about NCAA try talk, probably talk about, you know, full distance, half distance, try all those sorts of things, your journey. So I guess let's start out there. Let's start out real basic age, location, where you grew up, where you live now, those sorts of things, and we'll just get going. Yeah, so I'm 31 now, even though I feel like I'm much older. I've had 10 surgeries and my body hurts, um, and then some of the health stuff we'll get into later. But I, I was born and raised in Orange County, so specifically Mission Viejo, California, and, and then lived in like Rancho Mission Viejo for a little bit. And, but now I'm located in Queen Creek, Arizona, which is about 45 minutes from Tempe, kind of near Gilbert and Chandler area. We relocated out here, me and my wife, and bought a house uh, 
in February of this year. So we're new to Arizona. Haven't been here long. Summer was definitely hot, but kind of like you guys, uh, we, we have mostly outdoor pools, which is always cool. Um, cause when, when I moved, I lived out East for like three years, um, when I was at Queens university of Charlotte and getting all the indoor pools and then having teammates call me a softy for wanting to train indoors. If it was under 50, you know, yeah. it was kind of funny looking back. Um, but, but yeah, that's kind of where, where I'm living right now. And, you know, looking, always been interested in try, I guess, some of my journey. I think that was the second part of the question. Um, I came up, so I, I got into triathlon when I was 14 and it's kind of like my, my dad was the youngest of nine and eight of them were boys. And I call them a bunch of competitive psychopaths. And so it's like, it's not only do you have to win everything, you have to talk smack as you're doing it and, you know, to your <laughs> siblings. So that's kind of the upbringing, you know, seeing my uncles and dad, it, it could be, and they, they played all the ball sports, you know, football, baseball, basketball. One of my uncles was a pro super cross racer, dirt bike riding. That's actually my favorite sport to watch. Um, and he's, he's just nuts. So they decided when I was 14, um, so uh I think they were like in their fifties. They decided, let's get into triathlon. It's like this cool thing. And it was, it started with, Oh, I could beat you. No, I could beat you. I could beat you know, between like all of them. And so I think they did, it was either Pacific coast or one of the local orange County ones. Okay. And they showed up, they raced, they got hooked. You know, I didn't go cause I was a little kid, um, like fresh in high school, but I was running cross country and swimming at the time. And it was my first year swimming and stuff. And so they, I remember they come home and they're just talking about and talking smack. And I was kind of like, I want to try, you know, but I was like, I don't have a bike. Um, and then they surprised me. They bought me, I'll still remember it was McKeeley Jones felt B2 from like a decade ago and it had 650 wheels and you can't tell, but I'm six five now. So I ride a 61. If I were to still ride, I don't ride anymore. Um, so I had this little tiny bike. I hop on it. I show up and I beat them all except for one of my uncle, uh, the, the dirt bike pro, his name's Robert. And, and I was just hooked at age 14. So that, that was kind of my, how I started try. If you want me to go more into like the next journey, I can, but I'll, I'll stop that answer right there. Well, that's, I mean, that's just a really serendipitous. I didn't even know you're from Orange County. That, that fits in really yeah, well with this that's podcast. That's why I was like, oh, get me on. <laughs> like I, I grew up, you know, I'm trained with Michael Collins. I don't know if you know him, multi-sport Orange County and then coach of Nova Aquatics. Oh, yeah. um, I'll plug Tony, him in. Phenomenal Tony, coach. Tony gets yelled at by Michael all the time. Yeah, he gives it to you straight, man. He yelled at, he more, if you ask him about Robert Rogers, yeah. he'll, he, he'll probably cuss yeah. and then just say, what a joke. And that's my uncle. <laughs> and that was how it all started because my, my uncle did not listen to him ever. Yeah, but it made the team dynamic fun. Yeah, not a very coachable athlete. That's crazy, man. It's a small world. That's funny. That's funny. Wow. Yeah, I did a Michael really Collins is. pose running <laughs> technique, God, probably like yeah. 15 years ago. Oh my God. Yeah. Putting your foot on the wall and doing those like quick raises and yeah, all that. It, what high school did you go to? So I, I went to Saddleback Valley Christian high school. Yeah. It actually doesn't exist anymore, but, um, it, it was kind of there to, to would have been my public um, gotcha. at the time I was in Kodo. So to was the local and I almost transferred to Tesoro senior year, but the cool thing, SVC, I got to play four sports all four years, varsity, because it was a smaller school. Yeah. And so that was kind of the deciding factor, honestly, for me. It wasn't really anything besides that. And then I, I met some really good friends. So by senior year, I was like, because I met a, the basketball coach, actually, for Tesoro. He was like, come on over, man. 
And I, he was like, we'll start you. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm getting good at try though, you know, and I, I still played basketball senior year, but I ended up staying at SBC. And, but yeah, the school shut down now. We, we were by, it's, it was across the street from Jay Sarah. Oh, right, right. Okay. That makes sense. And then they, a lot of not wise people in the, uh, they, they handed, they were secretly feeding themselves all the money and they went bankrupt. Yeah. Yeah. That'll happen. <laughs> I got into it with the 82. So it was kind of funny when 10 years later, I was like, Oh, you know, that guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> told you so. I, I don't like him as a senior. That's um, funny. Um, well, so yeah. And how, I guess you got into try fairly young. I mean, all of us yeah. were a whole lot later in life. What, how are you racing, training, all that sort of stuff? What, where did you do it? Because I didn't yeah, even know so, you had it for that age around here. <laughs> yeah, so 14 was more like local, you know, just show up and you race your age group. And it's usually one other kid. So it's like, oh, I won my age group by, you know, 12 minutes. Well, it's just me versus one dude. And it's luck of the draw is he faster is his first race ever. Because um, at that time, I think I there was like a 16 and under category. Um, and then... But yeah, so my dad, uh, he, he found this thing called the Junior Elite Series, which is kind of the pipeline to the Olympics by USAT. And at that time, so I go to show up, I, I think I'm hot stuff. You know, I'm like, I'm pretty fast. I think I can win this, you know? Maybe this is, maybe I'll make the Olympics someday. Like every kid that shows up to Junior Elite. And then I remember I, I show up and I got slaughtered the first race. And it was really humbling. I was like, these guys are fast. And the kid who won was, um, I don't know if you know any pros names, but... Kevin McDowell and then Ben Canute, they were like one, two everywhere. And then there was this other kid that was actually just as fast as him that's since retired. There was Luke Verbis, Lindley Went. They were monsters at that age. And then uh, this kid, Lucas Verzbikas, who won Foot Locker, ran a sub four mile. So the competition was steep. Um, and, and these were guys who actually had started at like age six. So I thought I started late once I found that out, you know, by age 15, 16. And, and that was kind of my journey, and that's how I got hooked. So I remember Ben, I think the first race, it was a 375-meter swim. And if I remember right, he beat me by like 230 out of the water. And so that's a lot of time, you know, per 100. And But by junior, then you go to junior. So once you hit age 16 to 19, it goes to sprint distance. So it goes from super sprint up to sprint. So then we go to juniors, and it's like, now nah, I got to swim twice as far. I'm going to lose by four minutes out of the water, you know. And I was always a pretty good cyclist, but they – they whap me in the swim and they'd get me a little on the run. And, and that's when I started training with Mike Collins and just chipping away. And I was, I didn't start swimming until my freshman year of high school. So I was really for swimming. That's really late, like age 14, not, I, I had, you know, body surf, boogie board. And so I, I was a beach kid. So I, I knew how to swim, but not like competitive, what's proper freestyle or, and no idea how to do butterfly or backstroke or breaststroke. Um, and so I remember I started going through this junior lead and it was just chipping away. And, uh, it was kind of cool to see, you know, if you really do work hard, it doesn't come overnight, which is as a kid, you expect it to. So looking back, that was kind of like unrealistic. Like you're not going to close four minutes in one year. Um, but I did one of my claims to fame and in, in 2008, I actually beat Ben straight up, uh, at one of the races. And then, you know, closing that swim gap, usually I was about 15 seconds down from him out of the water. Um, by the time I was like 20 and had my pro card. So it was a lot of work. Junior elite was crazy. You felt almost like rock stars in your own little world. Like obviously no one knew us outside of that, but you'd go up and there's like, you know, 3000 kids cheering on and I'd have random people. I don't even know. Like, Hey JT, good luck. And I, I'm always a friend. I'm not going to treat anyone differently. If you're slow, fast, I don't believe in that. Uh, cause I think, cause I secretly myself thought I was one of the slow guys. So when I got fast, I was like, 
well, I don't treat people how I want to be treated, you know, back when I yeah. wasn't the best. Um, and so that was kind of the journey through junior lead and the local stuff when you're like a youth. Um, after that, I went to collegiate circuit. So originally I swam in college. My story is crazy. Um, at Concordia University, Irvine. So real close to you guys. Fell in love with the coach. It was his, Ken Dory at the time was the swim coach. He recruited me. I didn't want to go D2. And so I, and I told him that. I was like, I, I'd rather go JC and then jump to D1. I really wanted to be a Pac-12 athlete. And my swim times got a lot better senior year, but I was like just off probably getting scholarship for D1. So it was walk on D1 or get a scholarship D2. But then the other big thing was I wanted to go pro and triathlon and all the D1s at that time were like, yeah, you're swimming only and you're never biking or running ever, <laughs> you know? So I was kind of like, what dream are you going to chase? I knew if I went swimming, I'm never making the Olympics. They're crazy. Um, and so I ended up going the D2 route with Ken at Concordia. And then he actually left after my freshman year and I did not like the new coach. I thought he was horrible. We went from second in the nation to like 80th. Um, so I transferred out my junior year, but at that, that time I started racing the, um, collegiate club circuit, which is different than NCAA. NCAA didn't actually even exist at this time, um, for the woman. And, and then I transferred to Saddleback college, another local school, uh, for a year. And then I ended up graduating from San Diego state from undergrad. So I was all California for, for undergrad. And, and during that time, that's when I got my pro card. Um, and I, I won't, I know we have some questions, but I, so I won't jump too far ahead, but that was kind of the, the path. Okay. Yeah. That, and I guess with, with try, I mean, where, where did you fit that in with just swimming? I mean, were you doing it on your own as well? Or, you know, you, you had your, your swim yeah. practice and you're like, well, I'm going on the weekend, I'm going to go do this try out here or something like that. Yeah, so college swimming, I had uh, um, my number, what was it? It was five, six, I had to hit nine. So you had a number, and there, there's five morning practices, five afternoons, Monday through Friday, and then Saturday, and mine was nine. So I had to double three times and then hit Saturday. And so three morning and afternoons, I hate morning practice, so I'd go the afternoon on my two non-morning days. And I set up my class schedule for that. I was like, yeah, I ain't waking up because we – it was at Nova Aquatics, um, so because they they don't have a pool on campus, so I actually commuted at the time anyway. So I was like, I gotta wake up for practice at like four fifty five. This is brutal as a freshman in college, you know, no partying for me. Um, and I did because if I if I don't sleep, I've always been a guy that gets sick instantly. Um, and so with that, that was that first year was hard because I you know even I swam at Mission Viejo Natadors junior and senior year of high school. And before I came over to Nova, so I was on the dark side because <laughs> they're rivals. And, and so I remember um, trying to balance was hard because it was my first time doing like 50 grand a week in the pool. And that's like a lot more try. I was probably honestly in high school at like 15 grand a week, maybe 20 on a big week. So the volume, I was just destroyed. So I had to be careful that first year. And it was a lot of trial and error, but my coach, he, he did give me the green light. He was like, you could run. So the first year I probably only ran two, three times a week, like easy three, four miler, you know, squeeze it in here and there. Even in September, October, the first two months, I was like, I'm swimming only because I'm going to, you know, I'm dying. I'm, I'm scared I was going to get cut. Um, and because it, it was just so hard to hit the sets. 
And due to that, you know, I, I was so overloaded, I was destroyed until I tapered. So pretty much I sucked all year long and then we tapered and then I had all lifetime bets and I was like, oh, it works, you know. Um, but it's a tough way to get through the season. It's really, you know, you're like, did, did, I was swimming slower than high school. I was like, do I just suck now? It was my first time going backwards, but it was just the overload. And on the bike, you know, I'd squeeze in a few bikes here and there, but it wasn't that much. And then around, um, luckily, the first year, I, I had national cuts, but they didn't select me because I was a freshman, which made sense. I shouldn't. We had a really good team. Um, so my season ended in March. So it was kind of like right around March, I started really, okay, let's start ramping up the bike and the run. And then April, I was like all in. But the problem was collegiate nationals was always April. Um, so that didn't really, my first year I showed up to collegiate nationals and I kind of thought it was going to suck. And I got, I think 35th, which for someone who wants to win, that was really eye opening. collegiate nationals for try. Um, and so then that, and that's when I got hooked to, I was like, I'm all in on try. I want to win that someday. I think Ben Canute was third our first year. And so then the next year, I did a lot more biking than running during season. I just kind of didn't tell the coach. I just do it on my own. Um, and, and that coach brought a different philosophy. So it, there was a lot less doubles because it, it's hard to train for try if you're doubling. Like your body just can't really, you're, you have real injury or sickness risk. And at, at, you know, 50 grand. So I, I dialed my volume back to like 30 grand a week. Um, I just can't even yards. imagine your calorie intake yeah. at that point. I mean, you oh, must have just been yeah, no, I, I was probably like 3% body fat too. I've always actually struggled to put on weight. Um, so I was, you know, eat anything I could see. And I, I'd love to say my nutrition was good, but it was absolute dog crap. <laughs> it was like, Jesus, <laughs> you know, because you're just yeah. like, you're so depleted, you know, soda, like you, anything. I was caffeine addict at the time. Um, and so that, that was kind of the balance during that college. Once I got to junior college, I actually ran track at, um, Saddleback for one year and, you know, ran like the 5k two mile and in 10k, which on a track is very boring. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's 25 laps. You're like, Oh, this is, this isn't try this. Is, and then they all want to go super slow the first mile and then just start sprinting. I'm like, this is way different. I hate this. Um, but it helped. It was part of my development plan. And, and there I had a lot more control. So that's when my try started really getting wicked fast. And then I, I hired a different coach at that time, Jim Vance. He was in San Diego. He's been Canute's coach now. And, um, and so that's kind of where I started more going, where all in on try. And I saw a lot more improvement once I actually had a try specific plan versus swimming and doing it myself. Um, okay. Yeah. I, where does, where does Queens college come in? Or are you just associated with them? So Queens was graduate school. Okay. So I actually, I, I was going all in, you know, I got my pro card, I think at age 21 at a lifetime here, actually in Tempe, lifetime Tempe, you had to be like top three overall. There was like mm -hmm. a pro prize purse of 20 grand. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I was second, um, lost to my buddy, Ryan Peachy, who went on to get top 10. I think he was seventh at Leadville 100 as a pro, like three different times. Oh shit. So monster. Um, and I actually outsplit him on the bike. So I'm like, oh man, like, I, you know, he's, I can't do the long stuff, but to outsplit a guy who ended up a pro cyclist was pretty cool. And, <laughs> and so I remember, um, when I got the pro card, uh, sorry, what was the question again? I, I totally, J no, no worries. Just how, how Queens call or Queens university kind of, Oh yeah. Queens. So at age 20, you know, I get my pro card, I went all in and I think I had unrealistic expectations. I kind of wish I had a coach kind of help me with this. 
And I, you know, your first year racing pro is, it sucks. You just get smashed. And you're like, these dudes are either doped out of their minds or I am not what I thought, you know. And, and a little bit of that was being young and naive. You know, I'm, a 20-year-old's not going to beat a 26-year-old who's been doing it his whole life and is very talented at that time. Um, and I found that out later in my career when I was 26. I was like, oh, this is a lot easier. Um, and But so at that time, I got burned out. I actually quit um, at age 23, one of my biggest regrets. I was ranked second in the nation collegiately. And I was just fried. Um, I think the sport was kind of idle for me. It was kind of like my whole identity. Um, and it got to that dark place. You know, you start as that kid that just wants to race and, you know, chase the pursuit of getting better. And then I was even like tempted. I was starting to fall into like, oh, everyone's doping. So I either have to dope or quit. So I quit because I didn't want to dope and nor did I even know how. And, and looking back, probably not like the best mindset, you know, probably just needed to work hard and keep with the plan and what a, like a lot of guys I was racing with now have been even some of the top guys in the world on the long course circuit. Um, I was teammates with Rudy Von Berg at the time and a bunch of other really fast athletes. And so I quit. I got really into like lifting, gained 20 pounds of muscle, played intramural football, like basketball, had a blast, you know, kind of two years of college. And Sonny actually emailed me. He was like, hey, would you want to come to Queens University of Charlotte? You know, we we give scholarships. And this was unheard of. I was like, triathlon? Where was this four years? You know, I would have gone there as a freshman. Um, and and But I was like, I just told him straight out. I was like, hey, man, I haven't raced in three years. Um, and I don't know. You know, like I'm really big on developments, kind of compound interests, like finances. So this year affects next year. Next year affects, the, you know, and it just like really scales up like this when you train. I think a lot of people kind of don't take that into account because we all want results really fast because we're all you, most people in the sport are type a and a little impatient <laughs> um and so i i was kind of just told him straight up i don't know if i'm still good man i was like i do miss it and i'm hungry and if i come i will give you 100 percent for sure like i'm not i don't do anything half effort in life and so he he kind of started recruiting me he told me what he could give me um, and it, you know, it's not a full ride. They can't even do that, but it, it helped. And I was like, I want a master's degree. So that, you know, it's kind of like a win-win and they hadn't won a championship yet. So in my mind, I was like, I've always liked the underdogs. I don't want to be, you know, the, the heavy fate, the Georgia for, uh, football or whatever. Um, I more like being like that second or third, you know, cause that was kind of my whole life in racing in the junior elite circuit. So I decided to go out there, um, and join Queens and it was best decision I probably ever made got all in back on try uh raced for them for two years and then um I, I had this fluke knee surgery there's like a cyst the size of a golf ball that formed in my knee they don't really know how and it started hitting my PCL so I couldn't I could barely walk I definitely couldn't run so I had to go in and it was actually a pretty big surgery with like a four month recovery um and I I remember they, they went in they cut that thing out and then I came back a little too fast. I didn't realize kicking was actually really bad for that. I thought it would be good rehab, but in my first PT guy, I wasn't like against it. Uh, but so long story short, we, I was actually coaching a race. And like I said, I'm, I'm a passionate guy and our top two went off course, my two teammates. And so we're freaking out because your top four score. And now it's like number five and six, they never score. And I'm out too. And I was one of our top three so I'm like, we're missing our top three now. We might blow it and lose regionals to Navy, who's a really strong team. And 
And so I, I threw my crutches down. This was like two months after. So I thought maybe I could kind of hobble. And I literally started running. And when I say my knee was bigger than my head, the next, I mean, it was like huge and it swelled up for a week. And I was like, uh oh. And it was never, I mean, I was never the same. I even raced that year. Somehow it was leading into the run. I remember in training, I couldn't even run five miles. Um, and so I, I knew it was almost bittersweet because I'm like, I want to win this race so badly on the individual side. And now I'm winning the whole race, you know, and I knew there is no chance, like even going into the run, I'm like, there's, there's no, I'm a run 38 minutes was my guess. I think I ran like 38, 30 and which is way off my, you know, I was expecting to run probably low 33, 34, uh, if I was healthy. And so I'm like a 38, you just, you'd need a nine minute lead, you know, at collegiate nationals, uh, or it was like five minutes. And so that, that was kind of, I got to Queens. So, but it was cool because the injury, that's when he brought me on to coach the NCAA team, which is our NCAA girls. So I was coaching, and the girls are um, spring season. They race nationals, I mean, sorry, fall. So they race nationals in November. I know it's very complicated. Club races nationals in April. And so it's kind of two different, it is two different sports. If you're on NCAA, you can't race at club because obviously, because they are all on scholarship. At NCAA um, D two, you get five allotments, which means five full rides to divide however you want. D one, you get six and a half allotments, so six and a half full rides to divide however you want. D three, there's no athletic scholarship; it's only academic, and but that's all sports for D three. And so, like going there, that's where I really kind of launched my coaching career. I had coached at Nova as a swim coach, Nova Aquatics, for actually six years. Um, the, the kids like worked my way up to head coach. And so I had a lot of swim coaching background at the time, coached a couple other club teams in California. And, but this was kind of the launch of like my triathlon specific. And then that's actually when I launched wave one performance and started taking individual clients on the side. But yeah, that's how I got to Queens. I'm a huge, you know, Sonny Dyer. He was the first coach. I got, I got to shout him out. He's like a second dad to me. Um, and he really taught me to look at coaching from, he does it a lot different. Um, he kind of looks at it from a, like, we are trying to set up these kids because they come in, you know, 18 year old kid and we want them to be a better athlete person, you know, student when they leave by age 22. And he looks at more as like a handoff back to the Federation, which is really rare in this sport. Cause I think a lot of coaches, we had a girl make the Olympics. So the only Olympian out of NCAA, Annabelle Knoll for Germany, she came through Queens. We coached her. We handed her back to her federation. She crushed it, made the Olympics in 20, um, the last cycle, and, or 2021. And, and, but he, you know, a lot of coaches, I think in triathlon, they're kind of like, they try to say like, oh, I coached this Olympian, you know, and they're, cause they're trying to, it's really hard to get athletes, you know, yourself. And so they're trying to kind of brag about themselves. And Sonny, like, you never hear that at all. True, humble guy. And, and he really, he set her up, handed her back. She took off, you know, and so he's had a really good, I think the best track record in NCAA try after NCAAs. ASU's definitely had a better record during NCAAs, but Arizona State, Cliff English, another great coach. Um, but I think Sonny's kind of had the most success after. And that, that was something I really learned under him and just more how much he kind of looks at things from the macro, not the micro. So I think my first year coaching, I was like, no, you know, my swim coach was very military style. And and he taught me like, it's okay. You know, we're going to, cause I, I wanted some things, you know, and I helped him with that too. No, we got to be firm because culture is so big. I'm a big culture coach. So I was like, if you, 
you let an athlete get in late, that sets the culture, you know, to the pool that everyone else could, especially if it's a fast athlete. Because now everyone's looking, he's fast. He doesn't do what we're doing. You know, you told us to be on time. And then that starts drama and then the team implodes from within. So right. I think I kind of helped Sonny with some of the like culture stuff, but he definitely helped me with like, look at the macro. Well, so I guess that kind of leads into that's your, because that's your approach at wave one, right? The holistic looking at everything mm-hmm. uh, as, as, as an entire athlete, not just, okay, bike, run, swim, those sorts of things. Yeah. So I, you know, even with my health issues, it really challenged me to look at the body's nervous system. And I think a lot of triathletes are in sympathetic dominance, which means they're, um, they're constantly, when their body says to slow down, we pretty much all say no, (laughs) and we we push harder. (laughs) And there, there's seasons where you could do that. I'm not saying like, Oh, you can't work hard. Not at all. That's not how I coach. You know, we're going to work hard. We're going to help you reach your goals, but there's also a way to have a guy who sees the, the end game. What's your goal, you know, long-term, you know, we, we, I could get someone real, any, a lot of good coaches could get someone really fast in two months, but what are you risking during that? You know, if we go super aggressive, we'll get like this and then we'll plateau and then we'll start the rest of the season going like this. I'm more one. You're and it's, it's like, it's like the stock market. You're going to have this, but I want to keep going up, you know, over the years, even when we have the little valleys and peaks. Yeah. Um, and so holistically, I like more by holistic, I just, my definition of that means the, um, the body comes first. So I look at it as an athlete, it's your body, you know, your body best. And I want to, now you got to be honest in your communication with me, you know, especially if I'm, I do a lot of remote coaching. Um, so if you, and so that's why I just try to build trust. You know, I look at them more as, um, a friend or like a family member. And, and sometimes there's risks to that because then they could get a little too comfortable and you, you do have to be, you know, stern on certain things. But I, I try to build that trust first and then really tell them like, hey, here's, you know, if they're honest with me, we're going to do so much better. Because I noticed a lot of the, the guys are like, oh, no, I felt great when they you're like, dude, you, you felt like dog crap. Like, just be honest. Like, you don't have to win every single workout. No one does that. Even the best pros have days where they're cussing out and, you know, throwing their hat after and they're like, I suck. <laughs> you know, it's like you have hard weeks and a lot of that's due to life stress. So I'm a big, I'm trying to find out what's your life stress around training. And that kind of dictates how high we could go, not just volume, but intensity, finding that balance. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of my whole approach to coaching. And then I, I, I try to tell everyone, I know a lot of coaches say this, but there's no one out there who cares more than me. Um, and I, I'm, you know, I obsess over strategy. You've kind of seen with the NCA. I mean, I, I literally can't help myself. It's like a curse. <laughs> I got to make all these, like, like, I don't get anything out of that. I'm not paid by the NCAA. You know, I just, it's a passion project. And, um, and that, that's how I take my coaching. You know, if someone's not improving, I, I'm more mad than you, I guarantee. And I'm going to find out what are we doing that's not working? Is it one? Are they skipping workouts? Well, then that we got to just get more consistency. Let's find what they can handle or, if they're doing all the workouts and is it not recovering well? Cause I think the difference between the top age groupers and most pros is actually recovery. And a lot of people get that wrong. They think, Oh, they train so hard. It's like, no, they don't train any harder than you. They recover really, really good. They're really good at sleep. Some of them have set up their lives where they could get massages and other things for free. You know, we don't all have that opportunity, but they, they've paid years, you know, work to get to that level where that's included in their package. So props to them. And, and the recovery is usually the most important part 
and nutrition plays a role in that, you know, and, um, but sometimes you, there's crap that happens. You can't control, um, for everyone, you know, kids acting out or, you know, spouse in a fight or, you know, or your boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, if you're like the college kids. And so that's more, I try to, I think if you look at a holistic approach, it kind of sets them up more where they're just better at managing conflict off the course, hopefully. Um, and no one's perfect at that. You know, it's hard. But then that and then you that will help your body, because if you're in um, parasympathetic, you're going to recover a lot better. So it's getting your body to that state. So I, some recovery days, I tell people, go do something fun like that you like. That could be a walk while listening to your favorite music. That's like a joyful music. Mm-hmm. You don't want like heavy metal, you know, because that's, that's actually adrenaline, which sends you into more fight or flight. But, you know, or that could be, you know, going on a you know, to a park or some, or like an easy ride where you pay. Hey, if you have a gravel bike, go explore. No, like mm-hmm. put the watch in the bag. We want the data, but put it in, put it in your back. Don't look at it. And since I've kind of started adding that, I've seen a lot of athletes do a lot better than like get on your trainer for an hour and a half and just go easy. Cause that's still like mentally you're like, this is boring. <laughs> you know? I'm still on the trainer. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Go ahead, I think it's interesting your approach. And I wanted to go back to a little bit step back because you're talking about life stresses and all of these other things that affect. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to understand real quick before we go too much further in your coaching, you were a pro, then you went back to school. At what point, I know you had some health issues. At what point did you basically, and you also said you don't ride anymore. So I was curious, yeah. you know, is the health issues what played into that? And I guess maybe talk a little bit about the transition out of sport for yourself and, and kind yeah. of why and things like that. Yeah. Great question. So, um, I, even back when I was at Concordia, so I was 18, that was my first coach. He hired me to coach his sw- local swim summer team. And they actually had some really fast. It was the green tree Gators in Irvine, California, first coaching gig. And just took me under his week. I've been so blessed with some phenomenal coaches. One of my coaches from Natadors is now the head associate head coach of um, Virginia University, University of Virginia, and their woman's swim team is first in the nation. So Tyler Fenwick, that was my high school swim coach. And then I got this guy Ken Dory in college. He, I think, he coaches modern day now, high school, and phenomenal swim coach. And so I, I got really lucky with those two. Had some bad ones, but we don't even mention their names. Um, and then you know, Sonny Dyer was a great one. Jim Vance was another very good coach. And so I've learned kind of from all these people. So, like I said. Um, I, I went pro at 20. I ended up quitting at age 23, way too young. That definitely affected my trajectory. Uh, but that was a decision I made at the time, and I have to live with that. You know, I, I do regret it looking back. Um, but I think it was more of an emotional decision than a, like, probably should have taken like two, a month or two off and then revamp the next year. Um, but I did have a lot of fun, you know, during that time chasing basketball and football. And it, it was honestly kind of cool. I just like to compete at everything. I grew up playing every sport under the sun, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, everything. Um, and, and just going to war with my buddies and trying to be better than them at everything. Obviously wasn't great at all of them. Um, but, and so then when I went to Queens, it was almost like the second chapter in the book, you know, the, this, this closing chapter, if it, in a two chapter book. And so I went there, I got really hurt. Um, so the kind of first, second year was kind of washed third year. I was faster than when I had my pro card. And so I would, I was ecstatic. I was getting really quick. I think I was in about 148, 147 Olympic distance shape and swim was fast. Bike was probably back at 
near 430 watts for not quite my peak, but up there. And then run was probably the best of my life, probably more 33-ish 10K if I would have played my cards right. And, and this was after your knee then, surgery, the cyst? Yeah, that was after. So I had the first one. I had to get a second one. I had five esophagus surgeries because I've had this issues with my esophagus. And so I, I was just like, I was in the hospital every day losing all my money. I couldn't buy a good bike because it's all going to medical bills and I had to pay my way for college. Um, so I was working four jobs at the time too. So that's why I laugh. You know, these guys, they were all like, Oh, you know, try, you're, you're older. It's not fair. Even though we had other graduate students all over the nation racing. I was like, I'm working literally 50 hours a week coaching at four different programs. Um, and I'm like, so I had a low, my training volume was like only 18 hours a week, super polarized. Um, and, and my teammate was training 38 hours a week, super blooming filled, like, you know, aerobic all zone two. Um, and then we'd, we'd go to war and we'd end up about the same spot. And, but so then after that, I, I wasn't planning on racing pro again. I did earn my pro card again at this little fun race in Claremont. My goal was to win collegiate nationals individually and as a team, and then launch my coaching business, like kind of as like, Hey, I'm a former national champion. And because I knew I wanted to coach, I I didn't really have the desire at that point. So I was like, I'm back in the sport. I got fast again. I kind of had closure on like, I quit too young. So I knew like what I could get my body to. But at the flip side, I got married. And I was like, I didn't have at that time, I probably would have ended up racing age group, you know, like more for fun, uh, like with your athletes, but not as a like, oh, I'm training to win more. It's no, I'm training my athletes to win. And then I just show up socially. And and so I was still running and, and lifting more and I love swimming. So I'd swim just like easy, no hard sets, <laughs> uh, like a little quick 2000 or something. Um, and then when I, I started getting really sick at age 28 and that, what, that was the end of my career. Um, right now I can't swim, bike or run. So I can't do any of the three. I'm hoping to get back to where I could just kind of do them recreationally. And I, and I believe I will. Uh, but it, you know, it's been three hard years kind of with the health. And I, if you want me to share, I'm happy to share that as well. Yeah. So you were mentioning earlier that you, you got COVID and you thought that kind of led you down this journey that, and maybe you still do that, that kind of kicked off or, or, you know, turned the tables on, on your health, but you go for it and jump into it. Yeah. So 28, I get COVID. Um, and it, it was the, the one, the first one where, you know, the lost the taste, lost the smell, just like I got, it was like mono times a thousand. I was so tired, but it, it didn't get in my lungs. So I was lucky with that because it, it got in my dad's lungs and was kind of scary for a minute. You know, like we even took him to the hospital to just to, that's when COVID, like everyone was like, you're going to die. Um, and so that was, I think, December 2020-ish is when I got it. And, you know, and then it, it was like this slow, so it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm doomed. You know, it was like almost every month just got worse and worse and worse until you were so in a hole. And so I remember I started going to doctors, you know, and at first they all just say rest and you get frustrated. Cause you're like, dude, it's your job. Like, what, what do you mean? They're like, I don't have training on this. You know, I don't like, I didn't really felt like I found, and I went to a bunch of different, like all different specialties, you know, just trying to find someone who cares and felt like it was kind of hard to find. I had one doctor cuss me out. But that was fun. Um, and I was just like, I'm never coming back here. And because uh, they, they were they were mad at me because I, I kept testing positive. And so they were like, stop coming back here. 
you know, and, and it was in my car. I'm not even in there. Like, you you know, they'd swab me. I'm like, I'm going to test positive, even though I don't have a fever. Da, da, da. I kept, I couldn't. And so no one would like even see me. And it was like this curse, you know? And so you start getting frustrated. So then, but long story short, a year later, so it took a, no, it was like a year and a couple months later. We, and by then I'm wrecked, like really low, um, really sick. And I even, you know, in that point, they find out I have Lyme disease and they retested me for Epstein-Barr. I had it really bad during junior league racing. And my Epstein-Barr, there's like a way to measure. And it was like the top score, 600 plus, And I was like in the thousands. <laughs> like, uh, so I was like way off the charts, reactivated. So it was those three, Lyme disease, long COVID and Epstein-Barr together. They said um, cellularly, at the cellular level, it's pretty much like I have cancer. They're all killing everything. And so I, now, I had one doctor even the Lyme disease real quick. Do, do you remember getting bit by a tick or having a tick? I Cause I know it's, it's terrible. Yeah. So that's one. Um, I, I don't remember. So I, I've studied Lyme like crazy, obviously since getting it at the time I, cause I, I was like, I never got bit by a tick. I never had the big ring. Um, I had a couple weird rashes and I had a lot of weird rashes in high school. Looking back, we think I actually got it. Um, in high school, when I got the Epstein bar really bad, we think that might have been a Lyme reaction. That because Epstein bar usually that something should cause that, right? It's either you're chronically stressed, but your body shouldn't naturally get that. Um, and everyone has it, but your body should be able to handle your immune system should be able to make it dormant. And so if it's not dormant, there's something at the immune and the cellular level that's not working properly to allow that to stay activated. So I can't prove that's when I got Lyme, yeah. but I, I've found out, um, I think over 50% of people with the long version of Lyme actually never even knew they got a tick bite. Some doctors, this will be controversial, but some doctors even think you could actually get from mosquitoes now. Oh, and, interesting. Yeah. Cause I would know, say being Western, in Southern California, especially in high school, yeah. you probably, there aren't that many ticks here in California, but no, literally. first yeah. thing I went to is when you were back East, I thought, okay, he's doing some trail so running I back East. Got there, yeah. You know, Cause Charlotte, there, there are the ticks. So maybe I got bit there and you know, maybe that, I mean, a, a symptom of Lyme disease is actually a cyst in your knee. And so interesting. I, when I found that out, I was like, <laughs> and, but you know, I was like, I don't know how I found that. I was just Googling cyst knee Lyme, you know, like I was, cause you start when you get really, really sick, you'll, you know, it's survival. Um, I even had a few doctors, I'm not lying, like say, Hey, you might be gone in like six months. Um, like two years ago. And, and I was just like, but I think your brain's really powerful. And this is more, this is just my belief. Some people don't like this, but I think the nervous system is, um, could make any illness a lot worse or a lot better. And so if you're, I think the power of diagnosis, I think that's something our society does a little wrong with chronic illness. And so you give someone a diagnosis, they've done studies on this. Like they've literally accidentally, so not intentionally, given someone a cancer diagnosis due to misreading and they die four months later and find out they didn't even have it. But then they developed it because their brain literally thought and they told all their friends and family, I'm dying in four months. And so when you look at that, manifested it. No, literally. And it's like crazy. So it's like, it, but then that means the opposite works, right? And so if you really believe I'm healthy. So I think in the midst of this, I, especially last year, um, and it was even brutal a couple months ago. Like I'm not out of it by any means, but definitely made some progress and I'm very excited for that. And, but I remember just, cause then everyone, they care. It's not a bad thing. Like family, friends, everyone, cause they all know I've been sick now. I even did a fundraiser for it a year ago. And 
and they, you know, they're all like, Hey, how are you doing? Are you still sick? Like every conversation is about me being sick. So I kind of had to tell everyone like, Hey, this isn't not out of anger, not out at all. You know, I, I say, I, I love you guys. I'm very thankful for all you, but I'm not going to really um, go into questions at, like weekly about how I feel. I'll, I'll tell you if it gets really bad, don't worry. I'll call like, if we got to go to hospital or we think like, you know, death's on the line, like you're going to know. Okay. But if it's just like a really brutal night and I'm having neurological issues, I know I didn't explain all the symptoms yet live, um, but I guess I'll jump in and say that, but I was more trying to tell them like, you know, I'm not going to tell you all that. Cause I just want to more start. You got to start acting like you're healthy. Cause I, I got bed bound for a little bit there. And then I was like, I got to get out. You know, I got to go to, you got little things, go to the grocery store. Like I couldn't even do that, you know? And, and like those little take out the trash. That was like a win for that day. I'm just taking out the trash today. I got outside, you know, going on a five minute walk. That was a huge win for me. And, and finding those little things and then being joyful for them. Uh, Cause they, I think the first year was so much like when you go from pro triathlete to bed bound, it's like your brain cannot, I couldn't handle it. Cause I was like, I was so such a, I, I don't mean this arrogantly, but such a beast like mentally and physically. And now I'm like, so pathetic, <laughs> you know, I, I literally like my, I need to care. Um, and, but a couple of the symptoms real quick, just for people, um, at first it started like neurologically. I remember I'd try to sleep. I'd be shaking like crazy at only at nights. It was the weirdest thing. And I had a bunch of body temperature dysregulation issues. So it could be like 77 in my house. I literally, it was like I had hypothermia. Um, and so it was awful. And then I'm shaking, keeping my wife up all night and then you start losing sleep. And then that makes everything worse because sleep's like the most important thing. Um, bunch of other ones, had a bunch of j- ton of jaw issues cause I got my wisdom teeth pulled right during this period. I think the line, cause you know, the blood goes there. So I think the line rushed there. So I've had a ton, there's been a done, like usually if I open my jaw, you can't hear, but it will like every time. Um, then I started choking on everything. I mean, everything for like the last two and a half years, every meal, if I don't have water, I can't even swallow food. That's not fun. And that's like probably the least worst thing, you know, and then there's a bunch more, but one of the biggest helps has been actually about an infrared sauna and game changer. Even during, during that first year, I had a low grade fever for 120 days straight and I bought the sauna, went away immediately. And so I'm a big sauna guy, big Epstein bath um, or Epstein salt bath um, guy. And those kind of have been two of the big ones. And then I, I do the Huberman. I wake up, I go outside, look at the sun that's been helpful, uh, you know, for like 10 minutes it, when it's warm in the summer, it's great. Uh, winter is a little harder, but in the summer I'll take my shirt off, get some vitamin D, you know, double dip, um, like the natural way. And, and none of those were like, Oh, I'm just like healed. Um, and I, I tried the ice bath, can't handle it. So when your nervous system's in fight or flight, I just couldn't, it sent me into shock, um, every time. So I did them all the time growing up, but I can't heat, I can't warm back up. So I more, do a little bit, some breathing, not Wim Hof, but some breathing exercises as well. And, and I think we're on a good trajectory now. So hopefully I could get back to where I could at least, I just want to swim. Swim used to be my like stress relief, go jump in the pool, swim, you know, 20 minutes easy and then go back to work. And so that, that's where I'm trying to get to. I'm not quite at the point where I could physically work out, but I'm hopeful I can. And, and that's kind of what, but that was the point. So even when, when all this happened and this is why I wasn't marketing wave one at all. That's why if I don't know when you started following me, Austin, but 
I, I, it was pretty much just an empty page for like the first four years of coaching. Cause I was like, I was just trying to live. And then finally I've been saying all this stuff when I call Sonny, when I call people. And then I was like, I just need to start. Like, I like Gary B, uh, social media guru. And so I was like, I need to start posting what I'm telling my wife just out loud, you know, get, get you. And if people don't like it, they don't like it. Um, I think I was too worried what people would think. And, and then my page kind of, you know, it's again, like I was at like 500 followers. Now I'm at like 2,400 ish, which is, I know that's not, you know, celebrity, but it's cool to see, you know, the slow, organic, no ads uh, growth. And your and wife's like, thank month. God he's talking to the mic and not me anymore. Yeah, <laughs> driving her nuts. Cause I'm like, like I told you, I'm a big, like, how do we solve, you know, I'm a big fix it, like most men. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, real quick, I, I just so. want to speak to your mindset. I think it's awesome. I'm a big, like, mindset person and, you know, always mm-hmm. thinking about trying to think about the positive perspective. But obviously, you've dealt with yeah. some major, major things. And I think that is one of the huge weaknesses. People get a an injury, right? Whether it's, you know, I'll say minor, right? And if you're not going in and having major surgery, mm-hmm. fairly minor potentially, and, you know, their whole mindset just goes to crap, right? They go down that, like you said, they are uh, manifesting, staying injured, not, you mm-hmm. know, not focusing on what, what you can do, getting out, you know? So I think that just that point alone, I think is huge. Well, they take that identity and they just, even your brain, um, is like 95 to 99% subconscious. <laughs> right, right. So it's like, you could even out loud be saying like, oh, I'm going to get back. But if you really believe like I'm injured and I'm not going to get back, your body, like it changes every, your cells here, every, yeah. every thought. Well, I see it in people so all the crazy. time. They get hurt. They, they want to tell everybody that they're injured. Right. Yep. And they just talk about it and talk, it's like, you're just, and I, I've, I've made that. I've been there too. You know, my knee surgery, I was posting it, social media, way back and um looking back i'm like well no wonder it took me two years to get help you know like in a way i mean made a mistake with coming back early too and but i'm like that's even the thing i don't know if you guys fall football but seeing aaron Rodgers with his achilles right now what i notice in his interviews whether you like him or hate him um like day his first interview like a week after surgery he was like oh we're gonna we're gonna change the world yeah. And I'm like, he really believes that with his mind. Yeah. He was like, we're going to change modern. He's like, I got a great, cause he, he did his research and he, he believed his doctors. He believed his rehab team. And then he was saying like, I'm going to be back this season. And people are like, your career's over. What are you talking about? You're 39 years old. You're not, you know, some young pup. And, and, and he looks like he has, I, I heard he's not going to play now. Cause I think they're technically eliminated or they have like a 1% yeah. chance, but, and it goes to that point. You just have such a, like your mindset is so, um, powerful in everything in life. And I think that's something, um, that, that I'm passionate about. It's good to see you are too. And I think, you know, just even in social media, it's easy to just fall into this like comparison, jealousy, angry cycle. You know, we see it with politics and everything else. Um, and I think the more we really have people that just like could find, like you said, I, I'm a big fine gratitude guy. And I think that's just, you're going to live longer. It's like proven if you, grateful people could have dog crap happen to them. But if they, if they're grateful, like barring a fluke, you know, car accident or something, you should, that usually makes your immune system work better, which is just like, when I found all this together, I, I was kind of like, cause when I raced pro like heavy in it, I was really bitter type a competitive. And I thought I was strong mentally, but looking back, I'm like, no, I was like so hard on myself, you know, tell myself you, you, piece of bleep you know you suck like you're not good enough all this it's like well no wonder i I wonder if that really played a role 
when, you know, all these, when I got the Lyme, the COVID and all together, it's like, well, I had mentally turned my immune system where it couldn't handle this. Cause a lot of people could get Lyme and be fine. And so it's, it's like, what makes them different than me? You know, and that's what I've been, no doctor really knows, but that's kind of where, where I got all in on the mindset stuff. Yeah. It's, it's super interesting. Cause I mean, I don't know if you've been around people with cancer and stuff like that. I've, I've been around quite a few <laughs> and you can, you can just tell the some people you're like, Oh, well they're going to make it like, cause they're already talking yeah. like, Oh yeah. You know, three months I got this and then we'll be back to this. And you're uh, oh, okay. Well, and their doctor you're probably like, could. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're doc- sure. <laughs> you know, you almost don't believe it. No. Right. Yeah. And it's cause, well, cause your doctor said this and they're like, no, 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 I'll be, I'll be fine. You know, just a couple, a couple treatments, this sort of thing. And it's like, well, yeah, your, your mind really is a powerful thing. It goes into your workouts too. If you go into a workout going like, Oh God, like I can't, I can't hit those numbers. Then you, you probably won't. Right. So it's, it's, there's, um, we had an Olympian, I forget his name, Olympic swimmer come at Concordia. He told us what Michael Phelps did in his journey. And they put a rubber band on all the top guys wrists. And anytime they said, I can't anything, snap it. And they trained their minds to stop no negative things before. So I, I can't hit one Oh five, you know, whatever or for him, what faster, you know, I can't, I feel like I'm so tired. Snap. Yeah. You know, and, and it was crazy to think like, this is what our high performance top of the top. Yes. He has talent. Yes. He's a super freak. Yes. He's super competitive, but even he was implementing that. And maybe that was the one 100 that got him the eighth gold, you know, yeah. All right, I'm giving um, everybody I, a rubber band for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he told me that next day, like I was just like wearing it forever. And then, and then you get, then you notice like all your teammates are doing like, Shut up! You know, stop. You yeah, know, take this. <laughs> yeah, that's, See, I'm gonna that's, I'm gonna have rubber bands, Tony, printed with "I will" on them, and every time you say you go, "I Chris. can't," you snap Business. your rubber band. Yeah, yep. I have this whole "I will" thing, uh, so uh-huh. it's like every time you say "I can't," you got to snap the <laughs> "I will" rubber band on your wrist. Well, small, next Livestrong. Yeah, exactly. Small, <laughs> small segue, Chris. I'm waiting for the La Quinta recap. I will. Oh, for I will. I know. Yeah. Well, we did our podcast. Then I did my video. <laughs> then I had to do my marathon video. So I, I, I was actually thinking about that. I thought maybe I would do it before this, this morning. And then I just got to reading all about JT and didn't, didn't get yeah. it done. So J- JT, do if you don't, if you don't know, he, Chris has, I don't know, four or five, uh, you know, video or audio projects going at one time. He's got his YouTube, he's got his podcast, he's got this podcast. So he's got a whole lot going on. Um, so we always kind of give him shit for not uploading something oh, when he's for not getting this podcast or, edited fast yeah. enough because I'm busy working on something else. <laughs> yeah, you know, has, 37 other projects. Yep. And he has an actual <laughs> job and a family and those sorts of things. So, you know, but. I get, that's me with NCAA. And so like, sometimes people are like, get, get it out, get your review out. I'm like, I, Nice. I, <laughs> yeah, that's <I'm> new. <laughs> that's how I, I, I found you. Uh, it was a swim analysis video. Uh, I believe it was Katie Ledecky and kind of talking about oh. her stroke and her competitors. You could see their their strokes really shortening up and she's just long and One smooth. The whole, yeah. I, and, and I was like, oh, shit. And then other stuff started coming across. It's like, oh, it's triathlon. And then I'm like, okay, this guy's got to have a YouTube channel or something because I think I had also seen a um, – a quick uh, like reel of you doing it might have been a PTO race it might have been Milwaukee and I think you were going yeah. over the swim and I was like oh I got I got this is great I got to find the YouTube channel I'm looking all around I'm like no YouTube channel it's just Instagram no. so <laughs> then right there I was like I, I messaged you guys you got to get on YouTube man I, I need like I need a 20 30 minute video on this you know something like that and that's that's how 
we started talking and again, I'm still, I'm still waiting on the YouTube. So <laughs> we'll get there. Hopefully I've, um, I, even this summer back to the health, it was pretty bad spot. So that's why a lot of these, I was like, I can't even record 30 minutes without having like an attack. Don't do um, it. But YouTube is a time suck. No, it sucks it all is. of the life <laughs> out of I, you. Your training goes to hell. You're trying to record. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> you know, good, good advice. And yeah, even I did like one and it got like, cause YouTube early on, you could get no views. And I was like, is it worth like 62 views? I put so yeah. much work. Oh my God. You know, and, yes. Yeah, dude, but then like my second one had like 4,000. So I was like, Oh, maybe it's just the luck of the draw. Um, the swimming one seemed to get way more on YouTube. And then, then on Instagram, my try one seemed to get way more. Um, but but yeah, that's kind of, you know, started doing that and just kind of, I, I wasn't planning on, I'm a coach, not a media guy. I do have background. I know how to do media, but I was like with the NCA stuff, I guess though, I kind of put something out about how they reach championship status because the sport's an emerging sport, which means it has to hit a certain criteria. The criteria is 40 schools for anyone watching. Once they get to 40 that have, and the 40 have to do four races. And then I think one more has to race three girls in national. So it's technically like 40 and a half. Once they hit that, then they enter championship review, which could take one to three years. Usually it's more on the shorter side. That's three different committees by the NCAA. So like one committee is the divisional committee, which is D1, D2, D3. They all vote independently, separate from each other, if they're going to take the sport as a championship sport. And there, there's two others. I, I forget what they actually are off the top. Um, but pretty much assuming they all say yes, then it hits championship stats. Then it's a sport forever. So it's like my whole thing with NCA is we got to get to championship status at all costs. I don't care. There's a lot of fighting by coaches. There's a lot of arguing. There's a lot of disagreement on the best strategy and disagreements good because you get to hear more opinions. But, um, I feel like I actually know NCA tried better than even some of the current coaches, because I, I was doing it when it started. I raced the inaugural first draft legal club race. That was the test run for NCAA to start the next year. So I've been following this stuff like my whole life. And and so I, I remember I made that first video and it got like a lot of traction. I was like, oh, maybe there's something here. And so I was like, you know, I'll, I'll start doing – and I'm all – these are conversations. I've been having these conversations calling multiple coaches for the last two years on the phone. So I was like, I'm just going to start saying, you know, the part, not any like recruiting secrets or advantage for a team, but I'm going to start sharing my opinion from all the, you know, that from the info I get, cause I'm, I direct first line sources out loud and it's kind of taken off and then try to give it some hype too. Like I am a big fan of the sport. I thought the product, like the girls themselves, they're so fast now they're wicked fast. Like five, you know, eight years ago, it was it wasn't that good. Um, now it's it's insane. Like you have girl Amber uh, from South Africa. She won in twenty twenty two. She was third this year. She's probably she's a sub 17 5 k off the bike. Probably a low sixteen. I don't know her open time, but a low sixteen five k girl. She probably swims the hundred free, I guess, in around a fifty-two and the five hundred low five minutes, and probably has a FTP. I don't know her body weight, but FTP, I'm guessing around two seventy to three hundred. It's like these girls are fast, man. Yeah. And and so the level, it's it's a Conti Cup for the top thirty. I mean, it's and, interesting when you think about. I, I was trying to just go through my head real quick. Summer Olympics specific. I think Winter Olympics. I could come up with a bunch, but sports that aren't. 
like at a collegiate level, like you're talking that are in the summer games, but we have triathlon there. I mean, are there a lot of others that aren't played at a high level collegiately? No, NCA is a huge pipeline. All yeah, countries, not that's just what I was America. thinking. I'm thinking trying to go swimming. through, right? Swimming, Olympics, track, you know, all of these things you get to the winter i feel like you get that's into cool. like curling and you've got some of this yeah. skiing shooting you know bio, you know stuff like yeah. that there's some weird ones <laughs> but that's very climate dependent but when Even you look at it, yeah nca um and yeah. horse jumping and i i think that's it's got to become that pipeline now is it there yet i mean we at queens had one girl make the olympics so you could argue one girl even in the first 10 years it's huge for the sport because it you know i know it's not a baby it's a baby nca sport i know the sport's been around for f- over 40 years uh but i that's my whole i look at it like this should be the pipeline for all countries you know and, and these girls get a bomb edu- awesome education out of it as well because you know there there's a lot of athletes look at me i retired at age 23 i thought i was gonna you know i probably realistically wasn't gonna make the olympics i was more a non-draft guy because of my bike but um you know, these girls, they, it's good to go race. And this should be the development, in my mind, where they get developed to hand back to racing pro. I think there's so much pressure on these poor kids to like, oh, you got to get ready for the Olympics at age 18. And I'm like, a lot of them aren't ready then, especially on the men's side. No way. Um, and so I'm like, let's get four good years. I think that's why swimming is swimming is nuts. This next year in the Olympics is going to be crazy because college swimming the last three years has just, there's times getting shattered every year. We got low 130, 200 freeze, and you, you can't even make an A final if you go 410 in the 500 freestyle for the men, and which is crazy. Like, but it's holding 50 seconds per hundred and for 500 yards. And it's because it's, it's become every country sending their top guys to the, you know, Florida, Stanford, Cal, uh, ASU, because Michael Phelps, old coach, is at ASU now. And, and Bob Bowman. And so like, I'm like, that's my vision for try. If we'll get there, I don't know. I think try is in kind of a dangerous spot right now. It was one of the first years it went backwards a lot. So every year we've been adding more programs and this was one of the first years uh, they lost a pretty good amount because they, they added a lot of D threes early and they gave them a grant and now they're out of money. So that's kind of like the, these schools are, and then the more D ones you bring in, it's very hard for D3s to recruit because they're finding out this is more of a scholarship sport, you know, because a lot of the talent's overseas. So people who aren't going to go to that school, unless if there is a triathlon team, which is a good thing because you tell the ADs, hey, you're going to get students who want to come to the school. They love that. But And you see the, the talent coming from overseas and that's be, just because of the adoption at a young age or it's just uh, better programs? I think um, they... Yeah, a lot of them have raced from a young age. We have that with America too, with Junior Elite. I think they've. Um, I I personally, this is gonna fire a lot of people up. I think there's a kind of big culture co- issue with coaching in America, especially on high performance. It's extremely political. There's these favorites who get all the talent in the world, and any other coach, whether you're an upcoming coach or even if you're you've been coaching for 40 years, you can't get any of it because USAT they kind of pick their favorites. They've done this historically. They anoint the coach. They give them all the awards to protect them, to make them sound good. You know, coach of the year, it's told rigged. Um, and then that guy gets all the best athletes. Then it kind of takes 10 years to figure out if it worked or not. And then that guy disappears, he gets exposed. And then they bring in, you know, just rinse and repeat. It's been the same thing. They had this 
um, team called Elite Triathlon Academy that was supposed to make Olympians um, when I was racing because I got recruited to it. And back in like 2011, no one knows about this. And Lucas Verspikis was like the golden child of it. He did crash and get really hurt and broke his spine. So, But every athlete in that group got career-ending injuries. And like, so no one knows the coach anymore, you know, from hmm. this age. But now we're rinsing and we're repeating the same project with Project Podium, you know, same process, different coach, you know, not the same coach. So hopefully, you know, hasn't had the catastrophic injury. So he's done better in that regard. But I just think these systems kind of aren't the best. So I think overseas, they're kind of a step ahead of us. I also think, you know, there's no American football over there. Uh, and I think these kids grow up. They, I think the next generation, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think they think triathlon super cool. We haven't done a good job on social media. Swimming is becoming cool for high school track and cross country. Like they just sold 5,000 tickets to yeah. NCA cross country men and women standing, tickets. standing room only yeah. standing <laughs> in the park. And I'm like, and we, you know, you see even pickleballs on TV and we can't get a TV. It's like, and I think for try, I think there's so much infighting. Like, we really got to leave our egos at the door and work together. Triathletes don't support triathlon. Like, and that doesn't mean, you know, triathletes like to watch pros, right? Some do, some don't. But, I mean, I was even looking, you know, all these pros, like when NCAA got launched, were like, oh, this is great for women. And I'm like, how many of our women have even acknowledged to their audience? Because they have big pages, you know, and said that this sport even exists. Yeah. Like they don't promote it at all. They're not fans because and, – and that's fine. I'm not going to be, you know, hypercritical, but I'm like – we're not even supporting each other. How are we going to get the next generation? And then I think USAT, Tim has been working real, Tim Young, he's a good, good guy. He's been working really hard trying to get all these high school programs to start teams. But my worry is you could start 80 high school teams, but if they don't think it's cool. They're all going to quit after one year. And so it, it's a kind of complicated, messy process. And I think internationally, they think triathlon is a cool sport. You know, I mean, you just look at the crowds that show up to the pro races. You'll have 200 thousand people in germany watch a triathlon they bring that same race same athletes to america and there's thousand people watching and so i think it's a little more glorified over there and things that are glorified people want to do and like some of them you know they they have great swim bike run coaches over there they tend to ride a lot stronger overseas that's kind of the big jump we, we swim and run pretty good here but they, they have better bike skills usually. And so I think that talent just has also identified a lot of them want to come to America for a degree that that's common in all sports, like internationals are dominating also kind of swimming and, uh, cross country for NCAA now too. They've kind of figured out like, Oh, this is a great, like you said, a great path to the Olympics. And, but the other, the only interesting thing, try so new too, it's hard to identify who's the great coaches. Cause there's so many new programs. And so I think some internationals are a little scared of that because their federations tell them, we don't know who this coach even is. So that, that coach could be great, but it's not proven because there's been some programs with a lot of injuries as well. So then those ones kind of get blackballed by the federations behind the scenes. Uh, Cause like, yeah, if you wreck, you know, if you injure really good talent, uh, they're not going to, they're going to tell every federation don't go there. And then, so they're kind of all like, I think that's how Queens and ASU, they've kind of proven they could develop talent. So now a lot of, they have a lot of connections overseas now. And we were kind of, I mean, how do you make it more exciting? I I know you've talked about the format, right? It's always just the Olympic distance, Mm -hmm. same thing. Or is is women's sprint or is it Olympic? 
it's spread at NCAA. Yeah. Uh, pro Olympic, but yeah. here they do both, but Olympics is Olympic. Right. And it, so how do you, how do you make it more exciting? You know, super league does a really, really good job at that. And I know you've kind of discussed that before. So what are your thoughts on the format yeah. itself? I think it should switch to super sprint. I've heard some coaches who strongly agree and some who very strongly oppose. And so I, I think they, uh, they might've voted on it yesterday. I don't know if that was even on the agenda, but I heard like the coaches meeting the, all the coaches from the nation all meet and they have an agenda with a whole bunch of things for the sport to try to make it better. So hopefully that went well yesterday and that they were all um, listening to all points and not just like a popularity contest. I heard it's kind of become that way in the past. And, but regardless of that, the reason I like super sprint is, so we just, we lost a lot of programs this year and, and people aren't, for some reason that's like frowned upon to say out loud, but I'm like, that's the facts. Okay. And so there, there were like 32 to 34 schools who hit compliance the year before we were high as I think 41. Um, and so, which would have got to championship review if all those programs stayed in and hit compliance again. And the compliance is that thing I said, where they have to race four races. And then it goes to the vote of championship review. So really we should be at like 45 right now. We also didn't add any new power fives for the first year. You know, last, you know, last year we got university of Arizona a year before we got Texas Christian university a couple of years before that they had university of San Francisco, not a power five, but a big first big West coast school. Uh, and, and then Queens university, Charlotte also jumped up. They were D two when I coached their D one now moved over for all their sports. So, Triathlon even launched them into D1 program, which is kind of cool. And so we could be pitching that to some D2s potentially. And so my 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 whole operating point is that the sport is going backwards, and that's scary. It doesn't mean it's done for, but that that's not good. So we got to fix and analyze, is the current product working? Now, was the race itself phenomenal? Yes. The girls are so fast. It's fun to watch as a triathlete. But for a non-triathlete, and we don't want to gear our whole sport for non-triathletes, but I just think the problem they're running into is they're kind of treating NCA try like cross country. So like they're going to be able to get 5,000 girls on a start line. We can't do that with open water swimming. It's, you know, you'll, you have drowning literally, and it's too brutal for draft legal racing. And so you're capped. It should be like 75 athletes max. That's why ITU does that. This year they put 120 girls on the start line. I heard multiple got concussions because the first buoy was just nuts. You know, even Amber, who's a superstar, comes out like a minute down because she got so beat up, I heard, around the first buoy. And, and we want the best athletes to win, not the luckiest, you know. So you can't control everything. Your open wire is a beast. That's part of racing. But we want a, the fairest chance before that. And so that's why I've been thinking, you know, I think we should swap Super Sprint. Because Super Sprint, one, is way more exciting, brings the racing tighter. So in, in a team sport, that's great because, you know, now the difference between your number three and the other team's number three could be three seconds instead of 20 seconds. And you you have a bad transition. You might even lose five spots in a super sprint. So it makes team dynamics really exciting. Do I think the same teams would win? Yeah, I do. Uh, but I think it just makes the, the gaps a little tighter. And I like Heat's finals. Now, this gets complicated because a bunch of these teams, there's a lot of budget different. So the D1s have a ton of money. The D2s have like no money. So you got to find, you can't just build it for the powerhouses because then you'll lose uh, and we need all of them together. Cause I think there's like 13 or 14 D1s. There's like 13 D2s and 12 D3s. 
So kind of evenly split. So we can't kill the D3s for the D1s or we can't kill the D1s for the D2s. You know, we need them. They all got to work together right now, at least until it gets to 40. And I think Super Sprint does that the best. It also allows, not for nationals, but you could add on-campus dual meets is my idea, where you literally even have like 16 girls in a pool. If you have eight lanes, you know, one on each side, just swimming straight up and back. I did this in a club race. It was awesome. And you could kind of have like heats and finals, and and I, I'm not a fan of pool racing for triathlon for nationals or regionals, no way. But for dual meets, that could be a good way to hit that four team criteria, have a race on campus without having to spend all your budget. Because that's a big problem. A lot of these teams can't afford to go host a race to hit the criteria, or they have to travel really far. So that's kind of both of those are losing. Now we could do it on campus, invite your local schools, at least for the East Coast teams, because um, it is a fall sport. Do it early, you know, before it's cold like August, September, and you could hit your criteria. Is, the, is I, the cycling one of the biggest barriers to that because the amount of blocking and, you know, things that are required to set up the cycling course, is it? Yeah, that's always the hard part. So some even have actually done for dual meets, swim runs. So just do athlons. We don't want a ton of that. It's different. You don't get as many points in the point system, and you shouldn't. But for for hosting nationals, that's a hard one. Now, luckily – most sprints are already super sprint distant. It's usually like a four loop bike. Nationals is three loop. It's kind of like a hybrid. But so the amount of road you block doesn't have to be massive because you kind of just need like a three mile loop blocked off. And then so, but that's, that's one of the hardest barriers to entry. And then now USAT doesn't even host nationals. It's um, third partied. And wow. so they, cause they, they kind of find a way to make money on it. And they don't host club nationals either, which I was shocked by. That's why it's coming out to Mission Viejo. Right. They pretty much call everyone who wants to host it, and then whoever says yes, you know, gets it. And so, but yeah, with NCA, I think the Super Sprint's way more marketable. You can maybe try to get, I would, I'm like, dude, call Super League. I think Maca would get involved for nationals. You could host all your other races, you know, but have him come put on a show. Then it's on TV because, like, I'm doing media for this with my phone at the time. I just got a camera, but. You know, I'm like, I'm, I don't have, you know, the, the super league, you know, million dollar machine with announce, like I could announce, but, um, with all this money to actually show the course and we've tried to live stream in the past. It's been awful. It's been like a, you know, video of like transition. So you see them, you know, once every 12 minutes, like it's all, and you can't even see them. You're like, who's that? You know, it's all fuzzy. <laughs> it's like the Havelina uh, live stream. They got some camera streaming a, yeah. a little trail of cactuses that someone comes by we've every never, 10 hours <laughs> i'm like we've never had cameras on the course like i or that i know of they might have maybe one year but so i'm like we need like these are the things to make the sport grow to show high schools to show athletic directors and i think the the knockout blow is um Women's flag football is going to be emerging sport real soon, and the NFL is back in it. So there, a hundred programs will add it day one. They're going to have million dollars in marketing thrown into it. You're going to see NFL guys saying why program, you know, they're going to support it, and, and with huge followings, and why their alumni should add it, and that that's, that's going funny. to be. So we we can't become us versus them. It has to be us and them. Right. <laughs> yeah. if it's us versus them. They will win. They're more diverse sport. That's that's something to consider. A lot of ads like that. And I heard they're going to be like 12 to 15 scholarships, which were our allotment six and a half. So they get a little more because a lot of pretty much every sport 
on the woman's side is for Title IX compliance if they have a football program. And because football is the moneymaker. So then every other sports to make sure they could keep their money maker, right? right. Some have basketball as money, yeah. not all of them. And so that's uh, you got to know what the job of your sport is to do. Now, pros that try very high GPAs. I think Queens uh, average GPA was a three nine two. <laughs> so like triathletes are smart; they're high achievers. Like across the board, they'll probably beat almost any other sport in GPA. So that's a good selling point. A lot of internationals who wouldn't come here. I think that's a great selling point. Some people one only Americans, but, um, ADs will like that. And then we, but we got to make it exciting. And I think super sprint and there's different ways you could do that. You could do only finals or you could do like a heat final. I like the heat final qualification. And then it, the other thing is, um, it's easier to add way more waves. So let's say the sport does grow. We got to like prepare for that. Right. And so if there's 50 schools where right now they give seven girls for each team that qualifies, you get capped at 11 teams, you know, or 10 teams, 70 athletes, 11, 77. I'm like, we only have 11 race. Well, if you do heats finals, you have a bunch of, I'm looking at like swimming, the swimming, a bunch of people make nationals, but eight people make finals. So, you know, it's individual based instead of as team based, but for team scoring. And so I'm looking at, you know, we could have these little super sprints in these 30 minute blocks. So still that you're not closing the road all day long. You can get six of them done and, you know, pretty two and a half hours and then you take a little break and then you have one final of just 40 girls and those are the ones that score i want to bring a relay in too, like the mixed team relay just have three girls they should definitely uh, be doing a mixed team relay that that needs to happen yeah and then i've heard you know some coaches you know it's like it needs to be in it needs to be scored does it need to be all the points of went no you know i don't think you should be punished like in case your team crashes out but you should be able to move up at least one spot on that because it, it reminds me of the four by four in track or the four by one in swimming those are the two like all the videos the olympics those yeah. are like go nuts yeah. and the fact that it's been nine or eight years nine years and we still don't have a relay like even club triathlon has a mixed team relay and it's super exciting and it's like that's where i'm like come on guys what are we doing here yeah, you know, this we're is, ourselves. This is all just a marketing ploy. You want to have waves so you can sponsor it and call Wave One. You know, Wave, wave One performance. Yeah, and, I'll sponsor the first wave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's kind of where I got the idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it so, it seems like something Super League could really get behind because I was also just starting to think about the indoor games. Right when you're in winter and stuff, how yeah. great would it be to? you could stay on your own campus in your own pool and do these, you know, uh, during COVID they were doing them all the time, the time, the Zwift races and it was just a, a bike yeah. run, but you could do a swim run, right. And time it and televise it and get some interest. And if the, if the school televises it itself with, you know, I don't want to call it AV club, but their broadcasting, you know, abilities, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a way to make money or get interest or at least get the athletes excited and see what the competition is doing in off season, so to speak, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now at the collegiate oh, level, are athletes providing their own bikes or are those provided by the schools? I'm curious about that because, uh, most sports, right. Uh, I guess shoes, maybe not, but most sports, a lot of the equipment is provided. Yeah. So the D ones, pretty much everything's provided. It's kind of your choice. So a lot have team bikes, Problem is some internationals actually have bike contracts. And so it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. You get someone from Germany, if they're sponsored by Canyon, I don't actually know theirs, but Canyon's German. Uh, so like, you know, it might be a conflict if you right. put them on Pinarello or Specialized, but they're provided. A lot of them have team bikes and then it's, you could use your bike or the team bike. So we don't want a girl 
who doesn't have money not to be able to race, which is huge. But we also don't want you know you to be punished if you already have a fifteen thousand bike where you have to use maybe the five thousand dollar bike or whatever right. it costs, whatever your team got. And then a lot of the big schools all get the brand new, the super Nikes and like custom colors. And the smaller schools, you got to buy your own shoes probably. And but they they'll have like team warm ups. Um, and so there there are some equipment costs, but we've noticed a lot of people kind of like their own stuff anyways because people you know some people hate Nike, some you know so there there is some strict preference for racing. Uh, D threes much smaller budgets. I think some of them have team bikes. They're probably not getting any shoes. So you got to just use whatever you have. But the power fives, they're, they're definitely treated like the ASU, U of A, TCU, San Francisco. Those are four of the bigger budgets. Yeah. And they, um, and with they, the bike, bike fit is so important. So geometry, things like yeah. that, I could definitely see preference. Yeah. And even ASU, they have their own mechanic bike fitter. Um, they got everything over there. I don't know if all the other teams have that, but he, he literally every race does their bikes, you know, set, he'll swap tires for all the girls on the team. If they think, you know, we need a thicker tire for flats or, you know, you go to the gator skins or you want to use the GP 5000s, you know, they all get their preference. They can pick and then he, he does it for them, tunes them. And then, so they don't, they don't got to worry about anything. They just race, <laughs> train and race. Yeah. I would imagine that's a pretty, uh, for anybody really, but college, especially it's a big barrier to entry. I mean, it's an expensive yeah. sport. So, especially at that D2, D3 level, you probably don't have a ton of athlete interest, right? And maybe that's why there's a lack of programs, so to speak. Yeah, I think um, I think the sport is set up more for D1 because I think if I'm looking like swimming, D1s become just this powerhouse pipeline to the Olympics. And obviously we're not there yet. I think try could get there. A lot though depends on how good the coaches are. Swim coaches are proven. People like, and swim's easy to measure. It's your time. You know, you come in in high school swimming, uh, you know, 50 and you swim at 52. You're like, this coach sucks. Now that doesn't always mean it's a coach. You could have not done the work yourself, but there, there's literally companies out there that average how much people like either gain or lose. So like everything's measurable. Triathlon is tricky because your first race of the season could be a short course or a long course. So they could all run slow. And Nationals could be a fast course. They could all run fast. And that coach is going to tell everyone, well, all my athletes improved three minutes. But it's like, I was looking at these girls' summer times, and they were not running 22 minutes. You know, I think that course was just drastically long. And so that's the part I think we need. Um, you know, we need trust of internationals that these are good coaches. And there's some, there's not a ton of trust outside of, like, Cliff and Sonny. And okay. I think Denver uh, Barbara is a great coach, too. Okay. And... So she's really developed a lot of athletes well consistently. And, but so that's kind of the one part of like, you know, and then the, like you said with the D2, we're learning as the D1, D1 and D2 are kind of similar. So as they grow, uh, D3's finding it very hard to recruit because at first girls just wanted to be in the sport. But now if there's, you know, think if there's 30 programs that could give a scholarship, it's very hard because, you know, 30 times, most of them have 10 to 12 athletes on their team. So that's a lot of girls. And now D3 is really struggling because D3's real goal is to convert swimmers and cross-country runners to try triathlon. That's how they really should be doing it. Now, some of them are able to recruit outside of that. Props to them. That's just extra. But the smaller D3s, that's their real goal. They usually don't even pay a coach a lot of money like or anything. 
sometimes it's even aquatics director or the swim coach double dips. So that that's like, that's more entry level triathlon. And we got to treat it like that. So that's why I think super sprints better too, because it's way easier to teach a girl who's never swam in her life to swim 375 meters or if they made it 300, 300 meters than it is to swim 800. That's a big difference or teach a runner or a swimmer. You know, you only got to run a one K not a five K and that, and then they don't feel cause the, the top end is so fast at D one it's deflating. Like these D three show up, they take an hour and 50 minutes in a sprint and the top girl, you know, goes 57 minutes. That's kind of hard. You know, you're like, I don't want to do this. And right. in a super sprint, you know, it'd be a lot, you'd be a different wave. So you, you don't feel like you got smoked and it's more setting you up properly with the competition. You should be racing, um, instead of throwing you in, you know, to the wolves who are, who've been doing this their whole life. Cause you, you're not going to beat them. You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've talked, oh no, I would say we've talked in the past about the declining numbers in triathlon participation in general, mm-hmm. right? Iron Man, which gets all the, all the glory, effect. right? So, mm-hmm. um, but it seems all these other sports, which we talked a little bit about, they have mass numbers coming in, even at a high school level, right? There are kids, yeah. you know, my daughter plays volleyball. She's so 12. The, the likelihood that she will get on the junior high volleyball team when 125 girls try out, right, is really small. Yeah. They just have an exorbitant amount of numbers that are coming in already. And at a D3 yeah. level, you're just trying to get, what, 12 girls. Right? So yeah. how, do, how do we back it up? And a lot of it, I, it is financial, right? I mean, a 5K or running, you can do a lot cheaper. I, you can't do a try for under yeah. $100. So how do you get Even these? swim team, it's usually 50 bucks a month for club team. Yeah, or you're on the team. Yeah. There is a, there's a certain amount of money, but you don't have races built in. Right. I mean, my kids yeah. swim, then they have meets that are part of the, the, the and fee. You drive to them. Yeah. Right. You don't but have to fly on a plane with a bike for $200. Where's the 10, 11, 12, 13 year old getting to do triathlon on a regular basis without dropping $125, $150 every weekend? Um, you know, yeah, how no, do we build that? That's hard. I think um, one way is if we, I know they're trying to do a lot at the high school level, but it, I it's just what I heard. I know a coach in Ohio who's really trying to get race directors. They won't even add a high school division to their races. So it's so messy top down. But I, I would say you got to get where kids could race locally because any kid, they're not going to go fly to California from East or fly from here to Texas. That's such a huge barrier to entry, especially for entry level. If you think you're fast and you have the financial resources, your parents might do it. Uh, but because people will usually pay if they have the money, if they think their kid's good, you know, we see that with football going to all these select camps and stuff, but a lot of people don't have extra money and you know, it's hard and it is expensive sport and bikes are expensive. Running shoes now are like when I race, they're 50 bucks. Now they're like $200. (laughs) Um, You (laughs) You can't get a pair of shoes for 200 bucks. Yeah, it's hard. And so I, I think more, I'm more of a, you know, get kids swimming, get kids running, make athletes, right? Let them do because I did basketball, I did soccer. It teaches coordination, teaches how to compete, and then try to hopefully snag them over. You know, like their, their D one swimming is so nuts; it's hard to get a scholarship if you want to go D one. But if we could get, you know, if you told some of these kids in that second tier of swimming, and tell, and they'd have to be great runners too. You know, they're not going to get a full ride and try if they're not amazing. But, you know, you could tell them maybe in high school, like educate, hey, triathlon's another route you could go. If you want to swim D2, you might be able to 
do try for the girls or at D2 or even D1. Um, and with the transfer portal, you could always go D2 two years and then jump to D1 if you got really good. Um, so like start running because a lot of swim teams now even do running as cross training. That's really popular for distance swimmers. And a lot of runners are starting to do swimming. That's probably, you know, for high school cross country teams, um, that, that's really become a trend. I think that's why both sports are getting so much faster. They're, so they're kind of doing our thing anyways without the bike. So it's how many of those, you're not going to get all of them. You know, it's going to be a minority stake. But if we could convince some of them to come over, I think that would help the sport in general. But also, like you said, I mean, the sport's regressing at all levels. And, and that's what kind of, that's where I try to think like, is this just, are we really just a niche that's going to stay a niche? You know, some sports are. And cause I, I watched house, I I've studied a lot supercross. So supercross was very similar to try. It was a bunch of type a crazy people who low on a win at all costs. They're just on big and expensive bikes, you know, five grand. Um, so similar. And they, they want to go rip moto more of a male sport, but and the races were like an hour long moto and you'd wait and then you do another hour long moto. And it was, it was, you know, more like long course, like, and the moto community loved it, but everybody outside of it was like, I'm not going to watch a guy do 200 laps on a track point, you know, kind of like NASCAR's kind of struggled. And then they, someone decided, well, wait, what if we make it heats and finals? We'll do a qualifier. Like they, they do some morning qualification, but then at the main event, main show, the top 40 guys make it literally just like super league and then they have two qualifiers in each division so there's like the big bikes the 450 that's the main and there's like a b league which is the 250 bikes which is kind of the upcoming pros the younger guys smaller bike a little lighter and they do their little eight minute moto like top eight in each go in there's the last chance qualifier top four of that get in then it's just a main event that's 20 minutes long in this angel stadium you know so people could watch it and it, the sports exploded. Those guys are making millions now. And, and so I, I look at that. I'm like, I don't think, especially my generation younger with social media, the attention span so short. I don't think things over 20 minutes, people want to watch a race. That's why people love the 100-yard dash because 10 seconds. People like swimming is really popular in the Olympics, not really outside of it. But, it, you know, a lot of those races are a minute long, two minutes. You got Rowdy Gaines is a great announcer, makes you feel like you're, you know, could jump through a wall and he's like, Oh my gosh, you know? And so you got to have that too, but that's kind of how I look at it. But I think there's always going to be a barrier to entry issue. That's not completely resolvable. Um, USAT tried to say they were going kind of the like, Oh, we're going to help, you know, make this a sport more people could do, but it struck me as PR. I've never really seen anything you know, you're not giving scholarships to certain kids or whatever, you know, and, and that's the sad thing. We do lose probably some great talent because it's too expensive. And I, I was lucky. My dad, you know, would I'd go to usually travel to one junior elite race plus nationals every year. But I know not everybody could do that. And and if you can't, like, it's pretty easy to say, well, then I'm going to pick running or swimming, you know, because it's local. So that, that's a hard one. Yeah, I mean, do you it, s- go for it, Austin? It, it doesn't seem like USAT has really kind of held up their end of the bargain. We again, Chris was saying we've talked about this before. We've talked about we don't ever see at any of these Ironman seventy point threes PTO races. You don't see young kids racing. You don't see anything that's geared towards them. And and I was curious, do you see? Because a lot of it does have to do with media and media dollars and those sorts of things. Do you see? any of the athletes at least the girls maybe getting 
NIL deals or anything like that yet that it's maybe drawing attention to the sport a little bit? I've heard a few got NIL deals. I heard, I think the max a girl's got is in the five to 10 grand range. I don't have confirmation. Like I haven't had a girl tell me I got this. Um, Cause a lot are NIL is pretty secretive for a triathlon. It's not like football <laughs> where you, it's like, I got $10 million, you know, um, I'm trying to get people to share stuff publicly. I look at football, what they're doing, whether you like it or hate it. And I'm like, it's working. And you know, it's, it's a money making machine. And now we're not football, but we, I think triathlon, the, uh, another part that I think hurts the sport. And this was common in supercross too. It's like money's voodoo. We can't talk about it. Who we're recruiting. Can't get a coach. Coaches will tell me if I, if I build trust, but they're like, if you ever share this once, I'm never talking to you again. And so there's no recruiting database there. We don't know how many athletes are in the portal. I got a good idea, but I can't even share it. And, you know, from the few coaches that trust me and then I, I, even coach some athletes on teams myself um, and help them start more in the off season. But, and so if they tell me, you know, and obviously I'm not going to break their trust, but so it's like, it's so, cause they, everyone's fighting so hard for what's theirs. And they're like, if we go public, that's cause a lot of recruiting is the wild West in triathlon. So like there's cases a lot where like you're recruiting a girl and no one else even knows her name. Cause there isn't a database. And so that's why these coaches don't want that public because then they're like, well, now Cliff English at ASU will see her. And it, he might not even want her anyways. But if he wants her, shoot, we really need her as a team trying to beat him. And, you know, if he offers her a half ride, now either I have to give her three-fourths because he's the premier program and my in private school, you know, costs more than public school to begin with. And, and so there's a lot of coaches kind of, protecting their self-interest. And I get that, you know, you want to win, but it's like, I'm also like, this could maybe help draw interest from the next generation. You know, you see this girl signed a, I, I heard, um, I think one of the project podium kids made, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but over $50,000 at super league this year, Reese, and he's 18. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like, why aren't we saying that's why another, I'm like, let's get NCA to super league. And then you could, you know, or the format, and then maybe the top, it won't be a lot, but, you know, top one, two could get a bid to Super League and try to make some money. And so even if you didn't have an NIL, you know, you could just go, you like, really make a contract after um, yeah, NCA. And I think there was a 15-year-old girl in Super League uh, finals as well. Yeah. She did really well. It's like, why, why are there, It's out there. Girls are fast young. <laughs> yeah. Girls get quick young. And men more a little later, but you, you could have, I mean, we had a freshman win this year. Myra won the race and I'm guessing she's 18. Um, I know she's a freshman and, and that's been common. A lot of actually freshmen and sophomores have done really well at NCAA. So that's kind of funny. People are like, Oh, she's a freshman. It's like, well, let's see how the coach develops the side. Once you've won, um, I think she'll be great, but it, it's not always, you know, like men, you're usually faster as a senior. And girls, sometimes you're fastest as a freshman. Super common. Interesting. Chris, you were going to ask something, I think? Oh, goodness. Now I don't remember what I was going to ask. Uh, that's <laughs> fine. I, I kind of I want to yeah, step a little bit away from the NCAA stuff. I want to talk about, uh, you put up some workouts that you used to do and some of the power you used to put down. I think I saw a video. I don't know if it was like a 20-minute ride. You're holding like 440 watts. And then off the bike running like a 438 mile or something crazy. 
Uh, yeah, so that was um, that was that was when collegiate nationals on COVID year got canceled, and I thought I was in the one forty seven shape for Olympic, and probably the I thought me and my teammate Milan were kind of the two favorites to win that year. So it just would have been who had he was my training partner too. So we were really excited to go to battle. I'm I'm a better cyclist; he's a better runner. So it would have been you know how big am I gap? And we both swim pretty similar. And he he thought I was going to win. Sonny said he thought I was going to win. Um, and then I thought Milan was going to win the draft legal, which I wasn't going to be in. And so when the race got canceled, I mean, I felt like it cause I had transferred so much. I chased this dream with the three year hi- hiatus for like nine years. You know, that was pretty much my Olympics try to win collegiate nationals. Cause there's no age limit on the club side. And when I raced the guys that won were all 26, 27 too. So it's like, I was like, now I'm 27 at the time, I think you're 26. Um, so that was my like anger workout. You know, I, I saw the race got canceled. I was like, and, and I had done time trials off camera and knew more what exact shape I was in. So I was like, I'm gonna go ride. I think it was a 10 minute ride, not 20. And I held 438 Watts I actually was holding back a little bit. And I was like, I'm gonna run a mile hard, just more kind of aiming more at the super sprint, which is actually not my strongest distance. And I went, I think 448 off the bike. Um, and really felt like I could just keep holding both for a long time and, you know, not 448, but probably like a 505, 510. And so that was one of my big ones. My big famous one, um, I'm in Jim Vance's, one of his books, I held 390 Watts at New York city try, I think my first big pro race, uh, on the bike there. And then my, my highest 30 minute FTP test was 448. So I held 30 miles an hour. That was outside too. That's thirty wild. plus in San Clemente, and actually the second time I did it, I was on track to hold more, but I got a speeding ticket on my bike what? during my FTP test. So Unbelievable! I, I actually because it was you know it's, it, it was that beach in San Clemente, kind of by um by I think Trestles, and there's like a big long straightaway. And I was going so fast, I was like, "Crap, I'm, I'm gonna have to do like four U-turns on this." So I, I make the U-turn. I was flying back, and there was like a cop. And I don't know. I was competitive. I even had music in um, under my. I did go aero helmet that day, and and I, I passed him, you know, in the parking lot. And he said I, I legally passed a double yellow. It was I guess the speed limit was twenty five, and I was going thirty three. Um, and so he pulled me. I, I talked my way out of it, but <laughs> I just played really dumb. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't. You know, I thought this was a closed road because it, it's in like a parking. You know. And he was super mad, but he kicked me out of the park. <laughs> so I didn't. I remember I, I was more mad because I was 17 minutes in, and that's where your test really starts. Mm-hmm. So I was in the like, you know, you're tapped out. You're just like, oh, this is hell. And and so then I was like, oh, I got to either go do this again or just. And I just wrote. <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing that again. Yeah, that's uh, so, sorry, coach. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I kind of. I, I would have talked myself into that uh, ticket. I, I want that ticket. I'm like, write, write that up. Yeah, mo- make model. Yeah, <laughs> write, write that up. Frame Frame whatever you're writing. You said 37. Like, I thought that, I was that would 39. Awesome, but that would whatever, frame whatever. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, I suck. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, yeah. 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 I, yeah. I would have gone to court for that, too. I would have gone to fight it just to, like, to hear him, you know, watch him show up and <laughs> hear him the judge. And, you know, I yeah, yeah, I mean, that Did you up. have aspirations of going to longer distance at all, or was kind of Olympic distance the goal? Or At the time, Olympic distance was actually, a lot, there was a lot more money in it. It's kind of sad. So Lifetime had the non-draft series 
Gomez came out and did it, but you know, a bunch of guys at the time. He was a man at the time. And, you know, Ben Canoe was always doing it. Uh, Cam Dye was a big one who made a full living during that era, literally doing non-draft Olympic. And so I, my goal was more that and then to branch up to 70.3. Looking at my power data, I think 70.3, I would have been pretty nasty because um, I was also pretty good at kind of holding my 10K forever. And in my swim, it's pretty much the same as Olympics, like 400, 500 yards longer. Uh, so I, I think I would have been really, and then a lot of the guys I raced against have been canoe Rudy, who I raced similar stuff, you know, they've been really good at that 70.3 distance, but I never actually made it to start line. Um, every time I did, I either got hurt, uh, or kind of, we usually put 70.3 at the end of my season or I'd be kind of just fried. Um, I usually raced really good or cause collegiate nationals, that was the hard thing. You peaked so heavy in April. And then usually a pro race in July, you peak. And then, a, you know, another big race in September, you peak. And then, so then to add a 70.3 at the end of that. And I also think I was very um, glycogen dominant. I didn't know this at the time, but I, a lot of long rides, I get 330 in, I bonk like crazy, no matter what fuel I'm taking. And so once I was going to my fat storages, I think my body just didn't like it. And I, had, you know, trained through a lot of caffeine. I'd wired my body that direction. Um, and not really, didn't really have a coach that kind of started saying, Hey, we actually need to do less intensity and really train your body to go to the fat reserves. Um, and I didn't know that at the time. So I, but I, I wanted to do 7.3, but I never actually did. So we, interesting. No idea. Some of my buddies have gone like three that I was really close speed to went like 348. Um, but the, the pros now are psychotic. Yeah. They're like, it's depressing. It's <laughs> yeah. like, I, I'm like, I want to even try. Like, yeah, I'm not going 336 or whatever. Like, I'm like, that's, it, it makes it, that's where it's like, I'm like, is that humanly possible? I, I really question, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, or yeah. You want something. Well, it's really like, wild because it's almost as if they're doing yeah. Olympic distance pace just at 70.3 or something, right? It's, they really are. It, it's, it's they're really such, insane. Yeah. They're I, nuts. Yeah. I mean, I, but that's the PTO is really taking that to the next level yeah yeah those are super fun races too right i mean they get everybody to do it and yeah it would be nice to see yeah exactly i mean it'd be nice to see the ncaa do something i don't know i I don't know if you have to do olympic distance i guess for college athletes you kind of have to be careful but yeah it's they're also so since ncaa started um since they're a fall sport that's more why i went super league route Cause it's the end of a really long season. They usually junior elite worlds. We have a lot of girls. I think we had like seven on the start line at worlds for And that's a qualification for your country. You gotta be top two in your country or top three, depending on how many slots you have. So those are really fast girls. And so they race such a long season. That's more why they've stayed away from Olympic. Cause then the internationals, their coaches would say, no, we're not going to race, you know, 25 races and go do three more Olympics. Um, but if it was okay. spring, which I thought it should have been, then you could start the season with, you know, that's very different. It, um, and then the women's race or the championship was out in, uh, Tempe this year, right? Yeah. What it's been Tempe every year in November 11th ish every year. Okay. What's that? What's that course look like? Uh, cool course. So it's, uh, the swims one loop. They swim in, a um, it's like a river. Tempe Town Lake, but it looks more like a river. I've raced in it. That's actually where I got my pro card. So I've raced in it. Yep. Yeah, we, yeah. we both have. Did Tony, he just race the full there? I've no done the half water. multiple times. Oh, dang. You did the, so, and then they, um, 
they keep the draft legal literally on that first bridge. Oh. So it, it, they like they start on the opposite of where the age groupers transition is. So they're on that. There's a little beach there. Yeah. In the past, they've had a beach start. This year, they tried in water, and which was kind of a disaster. <laughs> Might want to not do that one again. They tried to get them all in like a rope, and it was didn't work out well. Uh, but and so they race there. Then it's a three loop bike. They used to do four, but they're trying to not lap out athletes, so they hit compliance. So they're a lot of these things are strategic. So they swapped it to three because it's very hard to get lapped out in a three-lap bike. You got to be pretty far behind. And then it kind of just goes around right by that lake section. Really cool. You could see them like four times per loop or maybe even five um, because there's like this corner where they like come by like every – they do all these turns. It's kind of complicated course. And the run, they just run on the sidewalk down, literally dead straight, uh, three-quarters of a mile back, two loops of that for okay. 5K. Okay. And, but fun course. They put all the school flags like on the bridge, and you it gets a very the atmosphere is way different than try. You get like team chants and screaming, you know, like a kind of like college football feel, or, or like college cross country. You know, it gets a little rowdy, and uh, it's really which is great. You know, that's you need that to show different, and that I, that's where I wish like even that alone. I'm like, we need video of this like. So that these girls out there know like, Hey, th- Oh, that looks fun. You know, like, not just like, it's not just a triathlon. It's like, it's, it's literally different than all a triathlon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a great area to do it. I, like Chris said, we both were there this, this past year and there's, yeah, you could do everything right in that little, uh, Tempe town park or beach park or whatever. It's yeah. there's, that's great. Yeah. 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 And then you never have weather issues, you know, some, right. com- some didn't like, they said it was too hot because it was like 82. So some of the East coast schools weren't happy and I get that, but cause they raced at like 2 PM. Yeah. So it was in the right. Heat. But I think the, I'm like where, you know, you could pretty much race there or Texas or California, but California is very expensive to travel to. And that's kind of it for November. Cause they don't want to change the date I heard. So I'm like, you know, I think it's a good location. Obviously now that I live here, <laughs> yeah, it's fun to watch. Uh, you know, I drive, 45 minutes and I'm there. But yeah. even before I've always thought, you know, it's cause then you don't have the risk of like a hurricane in Florida or something, you know, mm-hmm. swim game canceled due to rain the day before. And, and that's what we want. We've been lucky. We've, I think we've had a try every year. So we haven't actually had to do, um, cause it, I, I had that at club where the swim got canceled one year and that really sucks if you're a swimmer. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, well, train this all year and now it's a run by run. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's tough. Yeah. I mean, I, Mission Viejo seems like, a, a again, you said it's expensive and it is, but it seems like a great area to have it. You know, I mean, it should be virtually yeah. perfect weather uh, and everything, again, is right there. You don't have to go too far outside the the lake there. So, Yeah, they'll have it for club, so not in CAA in April. Okay. It will be the club championship, and that, that's club men and club women, so none of the NCAA girls race Oh, that, interesting. Okay. That's... Um, and that they do have Olympic. So it's Olympic distance day. If it's the same, they change it all the time, mm-hmm. but it's usually sprint draft legal day one. And then day two is Olympic distance with a mixed team relay, um, after it. And okay. so that's, that's super fun to watch too. Not as high talent level. Um, men's side still pretty strong, but that used to kind of be the pipeline, uh, for the youth. So it used to be kind of, you go youth elite, junior elite, collegiate, go race pro. Okay. But the collegiate, when I raced in 2011, 
it was like 5,000 kids. And now I think collegiate club is down to 900. Oh, whoa. So you talk about the sport regressing, we're down huge. Uh, and I remember even showing up like you had dogs in that race, man. It was like, oh, like, we got Ben Canute lost. Like he's got a huge <laughs> yeah. Olympian, you know, yeah. and then there were these 20, now he lost the 26 year old when he was 18. So guys got a little bit, but yeah. you know, Dustin McCarty won and Ben, uh, I remember Dave Scott's son, Drew Scott, Dave Scott, the Ironman legend. Yeah. His son was like fifth. You know, I remember me and Jason West were going to battle, and oh, now cool. Jason West is a monster. <laughs> and we were like not even in the top twenty our first year. And oh, so Jason's really worked hard every year and come a long way. And and now the pipeline, you know, I'm a little scared. It's not a lot yeah. of people are skipping that. Yeah, that's that's that is scary. I mean, like like we said, we we've seen it happen, at, even at the age group level, but. You know, that's fine. It's less competition, I guess. So more more podiums for the rest of us or something. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, race is still good in Orange County. It's still busy well, or not as you know, we Tony Tony knows, you know, quite a few of them, you know, that that are not here anymore. We have, you know, Pacific Coast Try, which is kind of cool on PCH. There's the Mission Viejo one. There's New That was one of my Dunes. first wins. Oh really? Pacific Coast. Yeah. Yeah, I won the overall. Yeah. I remember what year. Yeah, that's still yeah, we've there. definitely lost a lot. Um, you know, uh-huh. I think back to when I was doing sprint Olympic distance was 2007, 2000, you know, the 2008, oh, that was 2009. I mean, there, there was a, you could do a triathlon. It felt like every other weekend, right? Any, yeah. you know, between Orange County, San Diego and, and LA. And yeah. I went to do an article on triathlons in Orange County for our website, the Orange County Endurance website. Uh-huh. And it's like, damn, it's hard to come up with five. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's so sad. Because like, I, I grew up in that era. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of them, a lot of them were struggling. Yeah. A lot of them were, were struggling to like, you know, make it before COVID. And then I think COVID was like the nail in the coffin for most of them that were around here. Yeah. So, I remember Solana Beach. A lot of them didn't recover after that. There was like three of them down there. Uh, you had all the LA stuff with Herbalite, um, Pacific Coast, Redondo Beach. Like it was everywhere. Yeah. Laguna Beach, or no, um, sorry, uh, what was the other? Uh, Carlsbad. Carlsbad, yep. It was huge. I remember the waves were always so big. It was so fun. You'd, like, you'd be like, those are like eight feet, man. Yeah. All right, yeah. let's do it. <laughs> Catch yeah. a wave, yeah. We still have Mission Viejo. We still have, uh, okay. in Orange County, we still have uh, Newport Dunes Triathlon. Okay. Uh, Pacific Coast. Yeah, it's the only ones I can think of, like, you know, Tony always talks about race on the base. That's not here. Yeah, and that's not in Orange County yet. That was in Long, uh, Long Beach, yeah. right? Yeah, and then even, you know, yeah. Bayshore, which is technically, long, you know, Long Beach, but that's not even official triathlon. I mean, I guess it's a race, but it's not USAT sanctioned or anything like that. So, yeah, there's very few. There's very few now. Um, I don't I do not do any local races, unfortunately. It's always some sort of Ironman branded event or something like that, you know. So you're traveling mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, and even Iron Man also oh, political. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't know, man. I, I I earned my all all world athletes silver status this year, so uh, yeah. hey, you still earned it. <laughs> yeah, it you don't can, matter what 
they're political top down that you're still racing yeah. who's on the line. I'm figuring yeah. I just might sign up for three more races and just get gold. You know, I just got to pay for it. So yeah, it's That's how it is now. Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, there's just no benefit. There's no benefit between bronze and, <laughs> and gold, right? I mean, yeah. there aren't other than your rack placement, which it doesn't seem matters. It's just any AWA gets it. They, they really haven't, in my opinion, done a lot with that program to provide yeah. benefits. Yeah, but they I just hate want the what money. What they've done with um, the split for the pros? Well, that is actually uh, one of my questions. You know, what is your opinion on Kona in general and splitting it between two places, and then splitting it between two, two days between males being in one place, females being in another? And you're so heavily hate- involved with women, right? Right. So yeah, what and- they're doing with women for seventy point three and and Kona, right? Yeah how that affects yeah i i think splitting the genders to different places i know they tried to brand it like it was empowering for women i think it's absolutely stupid i i hate it because now like what happens when both race together there's way more people on the island and it's fun for everyone even the age group because there's like thousands of people it feels like the tour de france in our own version right and now i i watched the race and props to lucy what an awesome race but you know, there, there's a lot of interest on TV more now, but it, it was like there's not even a ton of people cheering them on at the race because you just cut out half half of your athletes, you know. And and I know all the age group guys like love watching those girls kick butt and love watching the guys kick butt, and vice versa. The men in France, you know, it felt it felt kind of like a second tier race. It didn't feel like a, a you know national um, or world championship, pretty much. And so I, I am fine with leaving Co- Co- or Kona. Um, I know a lot of people aren't. I think, you know, a lot of world championships, I like different courses. So I think you should go Kona, different place. Kona, different place every other year, but have everyone there. And I don't think it should be this France course with a super sketchy descent that people have died on. Uh, I think that was pretty ridiculous to begin with. You know, I know some pros who even sat out because they're like, I'm not going to risk death, you know, this year. I'll just go do the PTO and make more money anyways. And, and, but, so I, I wish they could go back. I think Frodo's the same way. He's like, he, he's more of a fan of keep it in Kona, but he's like at bare minimum, don't separate them. And that's kind of where I stand. Yeah. He's, he's been fairly vocal. Literally the day after Nice was, he's like, well, I'm retired. Yeah. So I have, don't really have much yeah, obligations. Honest, yeah. So he's just like talking. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's like, it's the stupidest thing ever, but no, you know, nobody asked me, nobody asked anybody else. They just went and did it. And it's, it's probably a money yeah. grab, but yeah, that's the same, pretty much the same sentiment, uh, you know, for all of us. And I don't want to speak for any one of these guys, but you know, I think we're a little more you know, when you take it away from Kona, it's, you know, it's, it's, it it would be cool to kind of have a tour de France vibe where it's not the same. The course isn't the same every year, right? They don't even touch some of the Mm -hmm. same places, but you know, I don't know. I think it's just the allure of, we all got into it and it was Kona, Kona, Kona. And, you know, taking it away takes a little bit of that lure away and kind of trying to compare time. Special thing Mm -hmm. in sport. We don't have much, even the Olympics, like, more people watch swimming than sight, but Kona like gets non-triathletes to at right. least look up the result. Right. And, the problem is as long as you leave everyone, something there, some piece of it there, yeah, it's always going to be that, right? Mm-hmm. You well, know? You so know that's too, what's hard. Know, a buddy who doesn't know triathlon, it's usually, oh, have you raced in Kona? Always. Right. Like, yeah. You know, like that's the top, it's not even have you done an Ironman or it usually follows up with that. 
And so that's what's known. That's our sport. And we just said, adios, <laughs> you know, let's just yeah. cut ourselves more. Yeah. I, I think too. Yeah. I, I would probably enjoy it more if they would pick a different place rather than Kona or Nice. Kona or Nice is what the plan seems to be like, but oh, you know, that's, I, yeah, I, mean, I don't, Saint, uh, I'm surprised that, yeah, it seemed like St. George was in there for a while. There were rumors about St. George and it seems like a great place to race and the mm-hmm. community really embraces it. Uh, so I, I know they probably don't want to have it only in the U S right. Kona, St. George, they want to, you know, make it easier or have it around the world. Um, but yeah, uh, just bouncing back and forth between the two. Yeah. Maybe they, maybe they have to do that every two years. Right. So each, each fem- the female yeah, choice, I, Kona, I think that's then the only thing that really hurt St. George, um, niece. And then the following, you know, maybe then it changes to a different place and they, they try and always keep Kona, but then it's that other race that each male and yeah. female get to race there. So every two years it moves. We'll Don't see. You. They have a history of shooting <laughs> themselves on the foot for financial gain. Yeah. <laughs> or what they think is financial. Tony, you were saying something? Oh, no, I was saying just um, I think that's the only thing that really hurt St. George was, uh, like Chris mentioned, mm-hmm. having two U.S.-based championship races. I, I think they really want to stay away from that and try and, you know, tout that it was going to be easier for the European athletes to – you know, to make that trip to a championship race and give them the opportunity to, to race. Um, and so that's where kind of nice fit the bill, but yeah, I, I, you can see why Ironman doesn't want to leave the Island completely. Cause they're just going to leave themselves exposed yeah. for yeah. someone like PTO 100%. or challenge to come jump in and yeah. create a, yeah. a race in Kona. Well, and then, from the standpoint uh, they, of a racer they, that they lose gone it, right? to, and you know, we were both in Finland. I wish so they would pick the, locations the that had the infrastructure to better support it. Like get yeah. it, getting your bikes in and out and not losing your bike at the airport for weeks and weeks. And, you know, oh, terrible. you know, either having hotels, you know, fin- Finland was a terrible place to find places to stay. Um, you know, you think they would do a that's, much better job. I mean, that's job. a huge point. You got to have, look at, you know, how many hotels. Which they say Nice was great airport. for that, right? Nice had, pl- okay. you know, was not a problem. It doesn't sound like. Yeah. I, I just think there's probably better race courses than than nice but that's just my opinion and and they maybe do maybe they're looking at the american numbers and they're like it's dropping you know because i'm right. sure they, they have to have that data and now they're like in europe is popular so this is our slow secret branch to actually get to only europe long term yeah uh, and, and i don't that, know that makes total sense i mean if they're not getting draw from americans it's like well why why would we bother we'll Why just race? keep doing yeah keep doing yeah. our couple races here and there and you know they can you know i'll suck it i don't care it's we want to make money it is a business unfortunately so yeah. yeah and they have to be careful too of you know their relationship on the island they just decided to go two days and shut down the roads for two different days and the locals are like what the f- i gotta get to work and shit and i'm trying to drive yeah. there's one road here you know so yeah you know they might have burned one too many bridges there as well because I, I i know there's probably a fair amount of people that that are not happy so but mm-hmm. um and, and speaking of kind of full distance and half distance races uh, this is always a hot hot button issue for us but uh have you ever experienced downriver swims and um do you have yeah. opinions on that yeah, I raced New York City try. I swam 11 minutes. <laughs> you know, I was like, and I was a rookie. So I remember showing up, first big pro race. Cam Dye, you, you were seated. 
So all the top guys, they all go way right towards the middle. I was like, that's interesting. I was like, because you got out on the left. It was just a straight. And so me and Ru- I lined up next to Rudy Von Berg and we're like way on the left. And it was like this, you just jump off this, like it's a huge dive and it's nuts, like 10, 12 feet high. <laughs> you know, you know, I was just like, send it. You know? Yeah. I remember, with the wets, I think we had wetsuit. Um, but I remember we get, you know, like your first 50 strokes and I sight, I look and all the dudes literally swam straight right. Like, I mean, straight right. It's the current stronger in the middle. And then they were gone. And by the time we realized it, you know, we swim right and, we, and we're a minute down out of the water and I'm a top swimmer, you know, and we're like, frick, man. And then you're not with the train on the bike. And, but so that's my only one I've done. I hate river swims. I think if you're going to go downstream, you know, it, let's say it was um, 70.3, then you at least got to go upstream at least 400 meters at the start. And now they're never going to do that because age group, you know, liability, (laughs) but you know, at least for the pros and cause I'm like, cause in the course time, you know, everyone's like, Oh yeah, I PR that. It's like, let me guess in Tennessee where, you know, it's down and it swims 10 minutes faster. And, you know, and that's kind of become as some guys on the pro level are even chasing like what they call world records, even though every course is way different. I'm like, well, you had a flat, you know, paved road with no wind and a downstream swim and then a run that's a mile short, you know, and you're still freaking nature to even be in that, you know, but it's like, sure. that really can't, that's where Frodo gets a little mad. He's like, these courses, they're totally cutting them to try to make their times faster. It's like, we might as well just go the PTO distance, you know, just cut it. Yeah. More three hour race. Yeah. Um, and, but I, I don't like them at all. Cause I think, and I know a lot of age group triathletes are more bike runners, but especially at the pro level, it's like that just makes the swim pretty much worthless even at the age group i mean it really yeah definitely benefits the slower swimmer right that gap yeah the amount of gap that you would have on a normal swim is cut way down way down you just can't now is it fun yeah you feel like you're michael phelps for a couple minutes there you know i held 48 seconds per hundred (laughs) yeah on the current right and maybe maybe it'll turn out that these downriver swims grow the sport Right, but yeah, and that too. so I'm like I'm not as because they're selling out critical at the age group level. Um, I mean, wetsuit, no one's going to drown in the down river, right? You just if you teach them right, you can just float, <laughs> and you you you'll still be way down, but it, it is better for entry. But more at the pro level, I don't I don't like them at all because um, because those guys there's money on the line too, so it's like they train for all this, and that that's really going to make Lionel and Sam Long really good. Um, and as opposed to like the true all arounders, but even as an accomplishment, as an age grouper, if I'm doing, you know, if I'm doing an Ironman and you're crossing that line and you are an Ironman, right. The, if your swim was 35 minutes because you didn't, you know, most age group swims are over well over an hour, right. Hour, yeah. Hour seven, hour 20, you know, or even longer. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say you are an Ironman if you haven't done a non-down river. Once you've done a non-down river, you know, do all the down rivers you want, right? I could care less. Yeah. But, you know, when you put that on there and you've cut the swim way down, which is a huge barrier to entry. It's oh, your time. Uh, so that's 30 minutes faster for your first race or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, man, you're sounding a little better than you are. You're like, oh, yeah. Well, you know, 11 flat. I broke 11. It's like, well, your swim time was 33 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I, exactly. yeah. I don't ever have a problem with the distance. I mean, it is what it is. It is shorter, but 
You know, at the same time, you could go take, oh, well, you, you biked a flat course and then someone goes and bikes quarter lane, which is 7,000 feet of elevation gain. Right. So it's like, where do we kind of cut it at? But yeah, like, like Chris is saying, it's, it, it probably is one of those reaches for them to get people into the sport to say, well, Hey, come do this. It's, you know, you, you start out the day pretty easy and then you get on the bike. It's pretty flat. The run is fairly flat, you know? So I think it is trying to get that group in there at the same time we saw like in California this year, we saw Dan Plews race and I, I was saying fast people want to go fast. I mean, those, those dudes yeah. are all still there and they're still at the front of the race. So it doesn't for age groupers mm-hmm. at least doesn't change it a whole lot, but it, it is an interesting route for them to go there. They seem to be going away from really challenging courses and into much easier courses and you know, maybe that's a sign of the times and trying to get people involved, but who knows? Um, yeah, it's such a hard sport to begin with. So I, I get making yeah, it <laughs> yeah. flat court, you know, the, they're probably going to be a lot more popular, especially on that entry level side. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Because now everyone could hit the cutoff. Everyone, you know, where when you got 7,000 feet of climbing, like running off of that is, well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, Howard, I never did an Ironman, but I, Trust me, I know I've done a century ride and I remember I was like, that was, that was actually my deciding factor. I did a century ride. Now it had 12,000 feet of climbing. It was the tour of California stage one, okay. yeah. of course. And, and I got off the bike and I think it was like 106 miles or something. So I was like, technically I haven't even gone 112. I was like, there's no way on earth I run a marathon. No chance. I was so, you know, I was pounding Cokes. Yeah. And I was like, you guys are nuts I, I had no desire to ever go long and i never will and more like i said because my body i started bonking so bad at mile 80 and i was just like yeah we're never doing that we're <laughs> never doing that <laughs> props yeah. to everyone who does i'm jealous but That's i like it. to go fast and i like to race i don't like to survive and <laughs> One of those courses that that get you in, man. That that's yep. California or Chattanooga or something like that. That's that's the course for you. <laughs> yep. Um, do you have kind of a, a yeah? I guess a Mount Rushmore of of athletes. Um, you know, people yeah. that kind of at least for you shape the sport and you kind of hold in high regards. Yeah, for me, for um, if I kept it to four, like a Mount Rushmore, I'd probably have to go Frodo. Frodo was my guy being a six, five guy. I, you know, it's easy to like see yourself in him, even though he's way, 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 way better than me. And, and I remember watching him win the Olympics when Gomez was like the favorite and just seeing a, I'm an underdog guy, seeing a guy who no one was talking about before the race, obviously the Federation knew he was really fast and the guys in the sport did, but when in that sprint finish, like him, I think it was Simon Whitfield and Gomez got fourth. Uh, that was and then seeing him do so good initially at 70.3 post some of the first, like most, I think he ran like a 107 or 106, which is still probably one of the fastest runs ever when he was doing with Javier and then going to Kona and really just setting the standard of like, Hey, this is what a triathlete who goes, moves up in the later his career could set. So Frodo's one second, I'd probably go Chris McCormick. Um, I think he was the first guy, you know, another two did the ITU, did the long course. I think he was kind of like our Connor McGregor, talk his mind, talk a big game, blew up a ton at Kona initially, but figured it out. So that's what I like. You know, he, he ate his humble pie. He talks huge. He got crushed and then he, he found a way. And then what he's done with super league, even outside of racing, I'm like, that's another Mount Rushmore. 
for the girls, I know you could go Daniela Ree for Christy Wallington, but I, I put two younger ones. So they're, I think by the end of their career, they'll be there. Uh, the first one's Flora Duffy. She's probably my fa- favorite athlete to watch. Hasn't done as good at the long course stuff as I expected. I thought she'd be absolutely unbeatable, but in ITU, when she's healthy, I mean, I think she changed women's ITU. So she was the first true, incredible cyclist who's a great swimmer and runner. She's a super freak at both, but also a great cyclist. I think women's ITU was kind of lacking on the bike, uh, you know, five, 10 years ago. And now they're all much faster because of people like Flora Duffy and now Taylor Nib. Um, and seeing her just win the Olympics was in a bunch of world championships. I know she's had injuries, but big Flora Duffy fan. And then Lucy Charles is my other one. Um, I know she's young. I love an athlete who could get second multiple times because I, I had a bunch of seconds. I know how crushing that is. And then to get hurt and still win after that, I think she's mentally a lot stronger than people give her credit. Also loved seeing her even after the initially when she was healthy, even put her name in the hat for the Olympic cycle and do like phenomenal. Like I think at um, the WTS in London, she was like fifth or something. Like just own these girls who are so fast. Um, and then even do some, the mile, you know, she, she wasn't probably going to realistically make the team, but swim in the pool and kind of doing, you know, three sports at one time. Yeah. I know we do three sports, but then even do three versions, Olympic swimming, Olympic ITU, and then long course. She's, she's a freak of nature. And I think a good ambassador for the sport, she's oh, one, yeah. you know, with Red Bull and she's one of those few has a massive following. Um, and does a good job of getting people to young girls primarily to think, try, I want to be a triathlete someday. And like, I think she reposts all these girls, they braid their hairs, like how Lucy does. And they're like, I want to be you. So I'm like, we need more people who are encouraging the next generation on both the men's and women's side. Um, but those are my four, I guess, to another athlete who I was a huge fan of and got to meet was Greg Bennett. And I think that's the most clutch athlete of all time. Wasn't the fastest guy, but man, he knew how to race good at races with huge prize purses. I don't know. He's just, he won high V, which was like the huge 200 grand payout initially. It was a junior elite race. I was there and I swear that guy won like him and his wife would win that every time. I'm like, you guys are racking in dough. You know, they knew how to race at the money makers and and just, he's got a cool podcast now. And then, uh, Simon Whitfield was another one uh, for Canada. I think he raced four or five Olympics. Uh, that's insane. Yeah. You know, kind of yeah. like Hunter Kemper. Mm-hmm. And so those, that's kind of those first four on my Mount Rushmore, but then those two. And then obviously Christian Blumenfield's a monster, but I just, I don't know. I haven't put him on yet because he's, it's hard to put a guy under 30, even though there are two <laughs> girls who are, <laughs> or yeah. one girl who is. That's cool. Yeah, that's, um, that's a good list. What about that's, you guys? Oh God, Tony go first because he a lot of that list probably lines up with Tony too. Yeah, I mean you're 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 speaking to my heart yeah. when you go Frodo one. You know I'm a, a big Frodo fan. Um, yeah. and Maca. I mean, when I first came on the sport, Maca was kind of like mm-hmm. the guy, Same. and he rode a Specialized, he rode a Shiv, and that's my bike. So that's you know mm-hmm. again close Same. to my close to my heart. Yeah. So, God, those those two, I, I, I'd still put uh, Christian on early. I know it's early, but just the what he's accomplished and oh, yeah. being able to accomplish within a you know a one season is just in- incredible. So that's yeah, it's hard to leave him off. And God, f- four, 
that's it's hard. I don't even know where I'd go with four. Um, I mean, I'd probably have to go old school with, with, with like, yeah, probably I, I, I see. I, I like. I prefer Dave Scott over over Mark Allen. I'd probably go Scott. Yeah. See so that. Um, so that, that's probably my my men's four. Uh, women. God, again, I, I lined pretty pretty closely. Um, I, I think Lucy's got to be on there just for what she's accomplished in in all sports. Um, again with going like like you said trying to swim that olympic mile make, make the uh, make the olympics and just swimming was impressive for her to even go after mm-hmm. um but just the longevity yeah. that she's been able to accomplish and actually she started as an age grouper mm-hmm. and and really went the yeah. route that that's not so common it really shows what can be what can be accomplished mm-hmm. um you don't need to be supported by a federation or or you know grow up in the sport mm-hmm. which is just really inspirational and cool to see um I, I like Daniela, so she's going on for sure, no question. Um, but again, just I think she's she's just been amazing for the sport, and mm-hmm. sad to see her, you know, kind of make her way out now. It's uh, again, a lot of my you yeah. know, the, the people I, I look up to the most are, are kind of making their way out. Um, yeah. I I do like I do like Flora. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd put her in there just yet. She's probably on the outside looking in for me. Um, and God. Mm. You know, uh, Nicholas Spearig is probably one I'd probably mm. have to throw on as 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 my fourth. I mean, that's maybe not not so common for others, but I, I think you just you kind of again, she's yeah, she's still doing it. How how many years has she been? She almost beat Gwen Feels in like her prime right after having know. a kid. So like, yeah. I was like, God, I'm like, man, you're she's nuts, and she'd be in my woman's top four for sure. No, no, Chelsea, Tony. <laughs> nope, nope, we've been going way too long. We're almost at uh, two hours and 15 minutes. So I just want to push your buttons a little bit. We love Chelsea on this podcast. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I, all those, all those choices for me are good. I, I would, uh, I think I, I would only, I'd put, Taylor Nib on there just because she's going to be on there, so I might as well get it done early. So For sure, <laughs> you know. So I don't know, Chris. You're probably pretty closely aligned with all of that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Two two more quick questions, and I know uh, one of these you told me yesterday. You're like, I have no idea what the hell that is. Um, yep. Night Rider <laughs> or Airwolf? I don't know either. Uh, I did a Google search, and I could fake like I know and try to pick one, but I I don't know. Do, I mean, um, do you know Kit yeah. from Night Rider? No. Okay. Yeah, I, I never watched the shows. Yeah. <laughs> I just figured we, the well, age, we have it. We I, I wouldn't even ask. I wouldn't even ask it. So, yeah. So I was born in eighty nine. I mean, I, I know who David Hasselhoff that. is. Heard the name, but not actually. <laughs> <laughs> but say, but we hadn't asked it in so long. I'm like, we got it. We got to get this question back on here. But again, probably. I'm also terrible for like pop culture. Yeah. Like, I'm, I wasn't a big uh, TV show guy, especially early on. In my youth, um, I pretty much only watch sports, so it could be modern stuff. I'd still be like, I have no idea. <laughs> like, well, that it's super refreshing because some of the guests on here, these two and the guests will go nuts, and I'm just like, uh, okay, oh, yeah. <laughs> the old guys, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, well then, I mean, this is a fairly easy one, but pineapple on pizza. What's your take? Yeah, 
Uh, I will eat anything on pizza. So I used to always get the combo, which is like, it's got the peppers and mm-hmm. I, it didn't have pineapple, but you know, the onions and everything. Um, so I'm, I'm not a picky eater at all. If it's food, I'll eat it. <laughs> Love it. And I know some people get really political on that one. When I, yeah. we got into that when I was in college, like, we, I mean, a full hour debate on why it's disgusting. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, it's, I don't think it's bad. Um, but Love some it. people have strong opinions on it. <laughs> oh, that's for sure. Yeah. It's polarizing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, again, we're almost, we're over two hours so we could, we could go on for probably another two, but, uh, you know, I think we'll wrap it up there and uh, just want to say thank you for coming on and sharing your story. And, you know, when, uh, the, the mission Viejo race comes up, we'll have to all go check it out and then we'll get you back on and get some opinions and stuff like that. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, nice to meet all you, uh, Austin, Chris, and Tony. And thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure. I had a blast. Yeah, yeah thanks for sure. It was two hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, time flies. It does. Um, yeah. yeah, it's easy. Yeah. Sweet. Well, we yeah. will talk to you in the future, JT, and uh, talk to you, Austin, Tony, in a week. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the OC Endurance Podcast. If you have any comments or questions for us, please send us an email at podcast at ocendurance.com or send us a message on Instagram at OC Endurance Podcast and be sure to give us a follow. Tell us what you want to hear about next or who you want to hear from next. Don't forget to leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whichever platform you're listening on. We would greatly appreciate it.